So tell me a little about yourself, Sonia. Um, I started my career in 89 mm -hmm. uh, when I joined the circle. Mm -hmm. And uh, I stayed there for five years. Mm -hmm. I created the Transit Business and International Relations Department where I worked with all the international telecom companies to negotiate the tariffing for international calls. In uh, 1994, I had one daughter and I decided I've had too much of telecom knowledge. I wanted to expand my uh, knowledge base, so I joined uh, Bank of Bahrain in Kuwait. And initially, I was in retail marketing. Uh, two years after that, I joined the investment department. And I learned a lot there in structuring, investment. Uh, this was based in Bahrain, though. Based in Bahrain. Because yeah. at that year, that was that near was the, the peak of the investment when GFH started and, and all these financial organizations that were really heavy into investment offerings. And I had the investment department. I used to travel every Saturday. Mm. I had uh, Qatar and UAE market. And I used to come back on Thursday uh, back home. And it was it was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. I got to know a lot of people. I learned a lot. Um, structuring investment uh, projects, commodities, uh, you know, different structures. I even worked in the operations department for a, for a year so that I understand the technical details of how you create an investment fund. And then I went into the um, uh, placement um, so that I understand the customer's appetite and what basically they want when it comes to investments. 2002, I got an offer from Shamil Bank, which is now Ithmar, which mm. is now Salam, um, to be in their marketing department. That's I my bank, by the way. Really? Yeah, that's okay. the one I use. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they're a good bank, they're a good bank. I joined them for three months, and before my probation ended, I decided I wanted to become an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I uh, joined somebody as a partner, and we started a real estate investment company. Mm -hmm. After that, uh, we joined, uh, went into a joint venture with Arabtech as a construction company exclusively for Bahrain. We set up architecture, interior design company, and it was booming because real estate uh, between 2002 to 2008, until the crash happened, it was basically the hype. And where was it mostly from, from, from internal investment that people wanted to do projects being built, or was it from outside uh, FDI? foreign direct investment? Mostly internal. We were okay. focusing specifically on affordable housing mm -hmm. and creating uh, very small plots that people can afford to buy and build their dream home. And that was the strategy that we focused on. And we joint ventured into these projects with Islamic banks, where they basically took 50% of the project, financed our 50%, 12 months, we subdivide, we sell, we basically make triple digits IRR and Fantastic. we're out. Fantastic. But I was worried. I was scared. Uh, I felt it was a bubble. And uh, I, I did a major mistake, even though I was five years in the investment department of putting all your eggs in one basket because I had a real estate investment company, construction company, architecture, interior design company. So everything was real estate, real estate, real estate. If there's a crash, all your my group will crash. Stuck. And um, and this is where I started freaking out, and everybody was laughing at me. So what's wrong with you? The real estate is booming. Nothing was going to happen. I said, no, something will happen, and I'm worried. And that was 2005. So uh, my brother was in Australia. He was doing his consultancy. He's, he's a doctor. And he said, uh, Sonia, there is this chocolate concept here. You would love chocolate, and you should you know, investigate it. And I realized um, you never have 
that high quality chocolate concept in Bahrain. And every time I travel, or anybody of my family travels, we always come back with a suitcase filled with high quality chocolate. Mm. And when I mean high quality, it means it has low cocoa butter, uh, low sugar, and no additives, no preservatives, like the Swiss chocolate or Belgian chocolate, uh, European in general. Does dark matter at of all? Of course, of course. I'm not a chocolate expert. I uh, eat it, but I don't know about it. Anything above 75% is healthy chocolate. Okay. So uh, it's literally as good as eating, taking an aspirin a day. Mm. It basically enhances your bl- blood circulation. It basically makes you a happier person. There are your brother really sold you on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a genuinely, this is a true fact. Scientifically, it's proven. They say pregnant women who have chocolate of 75 and ab- above deliver happier babies. And now you can imagine. How would you test that? <laughs> well, I- well, I have tested it. Yeah? When you asked the infant. I, no, no, no. When I, not the infant, but when I sat in my shop, you know, I used to just go there and just watch people indulge in chocolate. And you would see somebody coming grumpy and, you know, frustrated. And the moment they order the fondue and they start dipping their cakes or their fruits in the chocolate, even if it is milk, if it's a good quality, you see the complete face reaction changes. You see this calmer person sitting there and smiling. Okay, you know that. Okay, something You're doing is something happening. right. You're doing something right. So we basically sat and studied this concept of opening chocolate for a better world where we wanted to basically bring together chocolate fans. Um, there was no demographics. Okay. There's no age group. There's no gender dif- differentiation. It's literally chocolate fans, regardless who you are, what's your background, which income status you are. It, as long as you're a chocolate fan, you would, you would basically um, enjoy it. And we sat studying this concept for a year. Every month we had one country and chocolates were brought from that country. We used to send somebody, so we basically test the flavors, the fillings, the size, the packaging, everything, the marketing materials. And in 2006, we launched Myla Chocolatery as the first chocolate bar concept made in Bahrain. Uh, created by Bahrainis, a full Bahraini team behind it, uh, developing it, uh, strategizing it. And we had one objective. We wanted to be the first franchise model to go out of Bahrain. And in three months, we did sign the first franchise agreement. And we franchised it to Qatar. And we expanded all over the Middle East. um, And and it was doing amazing for them and for us. And so how was your distribution? Were you selling it to supermarkets or direct to customer? Directly. We either sell it directly to customers or Mm -hmm. we basically sell it to the franchisees on a monthly basis. The chocolate is made in Bahrain. We actually bring the raw chocolate here and we process it and we produce it and we use a lot of the local ingredients. So we work with all of our suppliers other than the raw chocolate are local suppliers because we want them to benefit. It's a cycle. Uh, We work with dates, we work with spices like cinnamon, cardamom, saffron and nuts. We use a lot of nuts um, to g- to infuse in, uh, with our chocolate and, and give that high quality product. But yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm from all the investment options you could have chosen, your brother convinced you on chocolate. Were there any other investments that you were thinking of at the time? Definitely. We were basically between two areas. We were between healthcare sure. and F&B. But unfortunately, the central bank classifies healthcare as real estate as well because it's not about the project, it's about where it is based. Oh, really? So if I had gone into healthcare, I would have been still in the real estate business. business. And when 2008 collapsed and market crashed, real estate market, 
and we made major losses in our other companies. The actual chocolate company balanced our losses and we sustained the model. But I've recently read, I think it was uh, in, in The Economist, do you know what the best indicator is for, for a potential market crash? Men's underwears. <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? God. <laughs> yeah, the sale of men underwears is the is a, is a predictor of whether I've the market never heard crashed of it. That. That's the first. Time. Yeah, it blew me away when I when I first heard about that. I mean, it's similar to the, I mean the big Mac, uh, the Big Mac index isn't any more real thing. That's gone now. But that was the that was how it was used to be measured. But but this is part of being an entrepreneur. You need to strategize things. You so need to have a vision. You can't basically say, oh, it's doing good. I'm happy. I'm fine. I don't need to do anything else. You always need to have a backup strategy in case things uh, you know turn against you, and you can at least balance the operations. You have responsibilities. You have your employees. You have your team who are partners who are making it work and you have your customer base as well, and you can't let any of them down. So it is a major responsibility. You know, I was, I was telling somebody the other day, um, I can't remember having a vacation since I've become an entrepreneur, because even when you're on vacation, you still cannot disconnect yourself. It's like being a parent, isn't it? Exactly, it's, it's your baby, and, and you still need to be there. You need to be on top of things. Okay, you delegate, yes, you, you basically um, uh, train and develop, but you still need it to be there. They need you to be there. They need to feel you're there. You don't just, just disappear and, and shut down and, and you're not there anymore. Yeah. So yeah, since 2002, I've, I have not had a single vacation where I shut down completely. A friend of mine <laughs> used to say, as an on you choose to work 100 hours so you don't have to work 30. Yep. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well said, Yeah. exactly. Uh, so tell me more, so the, the whole chocolate business, mm -hmm. What kind of market rate are we looking at? We're looking for the higher end market, I assume, right? Uh, you can be fair. This is the beauty of Maya. We created chocolate for a better world. Sure. What it means basically, you don't need to be rich to afford it. Sure. It's it's basically we we benchmarked it to the Godiva. Sure. And the Ladurate, but we also priced it conveniently so that everybody can afford it. Sure. And that was our objective. Now, we cannot control how franchisees price their products. Oh, okay, That's so you don't, you don't put that in the contract. We give them the flexibility because, take Qatar as an example, if you don't price it within the expectation of what is it, you know, their standards, it's not gonna sell. Absolutely. So what we sold here for 30 BD was being selling for 90 BD in Qatar and people were buying it because it's the purchasing power, it's the perception of the consumer. And this is where we listen to the franchisees and we give them the right to modify their price factors and adjust it based on what their market uh, demands. In Jordan, it was a completely different ballgame. Um, these products, the chocolates, were not part of the retail. They were focused more on the desserts, and mm. this is what was doing well. And Maya is basically created a concept where you can have desserts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we maintained having our menu 99% focused on chocolate. Even the few savory items always had a secret chocolate ingredient in it. So you'd be eating bread, but it's actually it has chocolate. Uh, that okay. It's made original. It's not brown bread. It's chocolate yeah. bread. But it's, it's got a salty component to it. So it gives you that. So that's a USP. Everything has cacao in it. Everything has cacao in it. Okay. Exactly. And where did the, the name Maya come from? 
We basically, when we were studying the concept, we went back to the origins, the Mayans. The Mayans, I was about to say. Okay. Who actually discovered, and when the Spanish discovered the Mayans, they started the barter agreement with them where they brought uh, for them a lot of products from Europe, and in exchange, they took uh, this medicinal drink that the Mayans used, um, and they used to use pure cocoa, grind it into a powder or a liquor and add to it honey, or not honey actually, honey l uh, later, mm. add to it cinnamon and cayenne pepper. And, and drink it when you have a throat infection or chest congestion or a cough. So when the Spanish brought it to Europe for hundred, over 100 uh, years, it was the secret drink of the kings and queens, only royalties indulged. And they started adding honey to it. Later, people discovered and they started adding milk to it and that's when milk chocolate um, was created and the Cadbury's and the Hershey's you know started evolving that's into fascinating yeah. that's fascinating but it's also sad because cocoa originally came from that part of the world but then because of climate change they lost a lot of their production today 70 percent of the cocoa comes from Africa comes from Cote d'Ivoire comes from Ghana comes from Madagascar and then the other balance, 30%, comes from Central and South America. Well, fascinating. And it, do you think that right now on how your business is structured, with how climate change is potentially looking to alter your distribution, you're constantly then looking for potential new markets to import from, I would assume, right? We are. I just came back from Cote d'Ivoire. Mm. Uh, and I was there to basically um, review the opportunity of setting up a cocoa uh, production company where we actually take the beans and uh, downstream it into, about process to ask that. Yeah, into processing it that would add value to the country and would basically create the raw chocolate that we want. Because now we're working with a European company that processes the raw chocolate to our specifications. But we, we, we're now, you know, from 2006, we know enough about chocolate to start our own operation. And now it's time to get into that business. So I went there for two days, a beautiful country. I met the farmers. Um, had a good talk with them. You need us supporting us on this project. They, they basically set up all the meetings and everything. And now we are doing the initial basic business plan to, to see the costs involved and how to start the project. So you're looking currently to go more upstream. And do you have any plans to go downstream as well? Oh, definitely. definitely. Okay. So you're already doing direct to customers yes. by, by your franchise business. Yes. And have you not considered at all to go through the supermarket enterprise we and did, stuff? We did. We, we did, uh, honestly, but... Um, because that would be my first guess. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, our chocolate is, the quality is so good, uh, it's too expensive for supermarkets. Even high-end supermarkets? Uh, even high-end supermarkets. Okay. Uh, the chocolate that you're buying off the shelf is not chocolate, it's candy. Mm -hmm. It's got 80% sugar and mm -hmm. cocoa butter, and then you have less than 10% cocoa. So for us to do that, that's a no-no for us. We would definitely not go below the 35%. Of course. Because we have a, we yeah. have a, we, we basically you have, have shareholders as well. No, we have a responsibility. Our stakeholders are our customers and we have a responsibility that we want to give them high quality chocolate. Once we start the raw chocolate production ourselves, we will be in a better stage to do the retail and the supermarket mass production because mm. we will have access to the quality, high quality raw chocolate that we will be creating, and we will we can tackle the margins more efficiently to cater for the mass market retail production. I think the the probably the best way of doing that would be setting up a sister brand 
and then distributing it under a different name. You know, Nestle does the same, all big chocolate companies. Definitely. Target Industries. Yes, but but that's the idea. We want to do a number of things. We want to distribute raw chocolate to to the entire Middle East and you know Switzerland never grows cocoa trees but it is known the king of to chocolate. be the king of chocolate okay uh, we can still do the same as Bahrain uh, we can process um, the uh, the cocoa beans uh, back in, uh, in in Africa bring it to here and distribute it from here everywhere in the Middle East and and give access to high quality raw chocolate and then create that line of retail as well. This is the two main objectives that we want to focus on for going into the bean-to-bar production. That sounds absolutely wonderful. Yeah. That sounds absolutely wonderful. Do you mind bringing up the, the website again, Ben? And is, uh, do, did you set up your franchises the same way as, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it, but same way as McDonald's and making sure, you know, yes. that your franchisor, franchisor, yes. you know, buys the tables, the machines. And this is why, uh, they all defaulted and we basically withdrew the franchise agreements from them. Hmm. Um, we basically, um, we franchised to Qatar mm-hmm. and then Qatar took four other countries. They took UAE, they took Oman, they took Lebanon uh, and Jordan. And the reason why they took it is because it was a cash cow. Mm-hmm. You know, they, nobody's going to go into five countries if it wasn't a good brand. Oh, absolutely. And uh, But parallel to that, uh, they started trying to impose their style, thinking they know best how the <laughs> brand should work. <laughs> and one of it is bet- they wanted to change the menu to make it more uh, savory. No, more savory. Okay. More savory uh, and less desserts. That defeats the purpose of Maya. We don't want to be like everybody else. We don't want to compete with uh, uh, my, my colleagues here, for example, like Lilo. And, and, and they're doing a fabulous job. But why would I compete with them if they're doing a great job? Why do I want to be them? They don't want to be Maya and I don't want to be Lilo. They're doing great. If you want to have savory, you go to Lilo and then you come to Maya and have your desserts. So mm. it, it basically makes sense. But um, they had many defaults, and we had to withdraw the franchise agreements from them. That must have been very difficult. We basically lost 80% of our cash flow in one day. <laughs> and How uh, did that go over with the investors? Uh, very bad. <laughs> yeah, I can very imagine. Bad. No, no, it was very bad. But also, uh, we, we took that decision because we sat with the investors and we told them, listen, do you want to maintain the brand or do you want to sell out? They basically said, we understand we're going to make major losses. Let's keep the brand. Because also, one of the drawbacks was they wanted to buy the brand at their price because they have five countries and take it to be a made in Qatar brand rather than a made in Bahrain brand. We had absolutely no problem for them coming on board as partners, and we offered it to them. Come on board as partners. You can even have majority. We love working with you. We have five countries. We've been, you know, one group since um, since we started in 2006, but I don't know. It, it, it if it's not meant go. to be, it's not meant to be. It was not meant to be. We both lost. Let's put it that way. We lost, um, and it, it was a big hit for us because the, the individual, the consumer who's outside seeing a brand lose five countries in one day would not think the problem is the franchisee, would think sure. the brand is the problem, especially if the franchisee was uh, was a big shot. Sure. Um, and parallel to that, we had another country, uh, Saudi, franchised to a different person. He started to get ideas. 
the problem that we have is that in this part of the world, even if you own the trademark, you don't have the protection mechanisms for the trademark that you own. Wasta's wasta. Exactly. Even if you have a solid franchise agreement that's literally 30 pages that takes a personal guarantee from the franchisee, when you go to court, they don't understand how to apply it in your favor. And it took us two years to shut the shops down. What they did is they literally <laughs> removed the, the signboard Maya and added a new name, but everything else was Maya. So if you're walking in that mall and you see the shop, you would not see there's a different name up there. So, oh, that's Maya. And you just go in there and it's the same menu pictures, the trademarked concept. And we own the trademark in every country. But we could not emphasize our brand responsibilities in the countries through the ministries of commerces. If, if you're in Europe or in your U.S. and somebody abuses your brand you, brand, you don't need to go to court. You go to the Ministry of Commerce of that country. I own the trademark. This company is abusing my brand. They go and shut them down. And by the way, Bahrain does that here. Mm. Honestly, Bahrain does that. Somebody used our logo in exact the same type font for Abaya shop. Ministry of Commerce notified us, and they give that company five weeks to change or they're going to take them to court. Brilliant. Not, not Sonia Janahi, not Maya Chakrati. Ministry of Commerce would take them to court. Brilliant. But when you go to the neighboring countries, sadly, you cannot apply that. And this is where we got hit. A lack of consistency. Unfortunately. In the Gulf. That's, yeah. la that's sadly the case. But, uh, I mean, the worst, I mean, the, the good thing is that you already own the upstream. The only thing that hurt you was your supply side, right? I mean, your distribution. It's uh, five countries. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to paint it positively. Yeah, we... we, we, we survive on royalties sure and and this is basically what makes the company um, sustain because whatever you do at your headquarters is the operations part to support the shops you open in Bahrain is mainly a training hub so that the franchisees bring their employees they train they get prepared they get tested and then they go to the country where they're establishing and and they're ready to to jump on the next day and open the shop um, you do the, you have the laboratory in Bahrain, you do your tests, your trials. Uh, we had an operations of 150 people. We had to cut down to 30 people. Ooh, How terrifying. many families lost their jobs? You know, when you fire somebody, you're, it's not that individual, it's an entire family. That's We tried yeah. to relocate them to other uh, businesses, other in in industries, but not everybody, you know. Makes the cut, uh, yeah. Exactly. And some of them had to, to, to go for a lower paid job. So it wasn't something that only affected the investors and the shareholders, it in fact affected the entire group. And when, when was this happening roughly? This was basically in 2015. Okay, mm -hmm. so you had the recession 2018, the yep. economy was still recovering for the first three, four years, yep. right? Things were starting to look good, and then you get slapped down. I get slapped down. At least high insight. Now you, you you know you burnt your hands, but at least you learned your lesson. I did. To and, and this is why choose. I basically nominated myself for the board position in the chamber. It's because I want to try as much as I can to stop these problems. I don't want everybody else to suffer. Every entrepreneur to suffer like I've suffered. Uh, if I can have a platform where my voice can be heard, I need to use that platform to the best possible. Uh, today, we managed with the chamber to have the GCC minist ministers of commerce agree that they need to have a unified law to protect franchisees. Um, and this has, 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 has happened. Now they're working on the policies and, and the procedure, but at least 
something is happening. And you just can't basically fall flat on your face and keep quiet about it. You don't need to be shamed. Mm. This is how we learn. But also you need to make sure if something goes wrong, you, you work on fixing things for others, not just you know shy away and pretend nothing has happened and sit in your cocoon and, and try to fi you know, mend your... Oh, I agree. Your, your, your I mean, we live also in the no, 21st exactly, century, exactly. right? Exactly. And, and if this happened to me and I don't do something to protect other local entrepreneurs, and by the way, 98% of the businesses in Bahrain are SMEs. Hmm. And that tells you something. And 98% of the businesses are eating from each other because you are living in a country that has limited purchasing power, limited consumers. L limited resources. Re limited resources. And today Saudi is booming. The, there's a big drop on the number of Saudis who we relied 99.9% .9 on to come to Bahrain as a major purchasing power. So what they do they do? If they don't globalize, if they don't create brands that has a global appetite, that can be a global you know, uh, have a global presence, and they're not protected also. I mean, I, I spoke to, to, square one. to JC from Batelco, yeah. and uh, he was mentioning about how difficult it is with Zayn mm. now coming into the market in Bahrain, and because their, their war chest is just so huge since they've had a population of Saudi of almost, what, 31 million, I think, currently what the total population is. So now they're aggressively entering Bahrain. I mean, you just have to look at the airport that you see. <laughs> Zayn advertisement. Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. You've got Zayn, you've got STC. Oh, uh, STC is yeah. also killing it, yeah. killing it. And, and so Patelco is really suffering at the moment, especially since they, they haven't gone internationally soon enough. Yeah. You know, they were too holed up locally. That's the sad part, yeah. yeah. Patelco should have uh, expanded more globally because they have the expertise. They, I'm an ex-Batelco. I know what they're capable of, and they've got an amazing team that was developed over years and years. They could easily set up anywhere and grab a share of that market, a bigger market. And the same, I think, is, is also true with Alba. Uh, they, they've been looking at upstream owning a mine for close to 20 years, and they haven't made a call yet. Now... <laughs> You know, it's harder and harder to find any kind of aluminium, aluminium mined. I mean, I've worked for a little bit yeah. at Patelco, so <laughs> sorry, at, at Alba. Alba. So, so uh, but, but there's still, yeah. But, but say, speaking of Alba, you know, one of, one of the things that's really um, annoying is that the value that Alba has to the GDB and how it can be developed extensively if they focus on the down downstream more efficiently, you know, instead of, of shipping the raw product outside, you can basically encourage your buyers today to be based here and give them what they need uh, when it comes to uh, subsidies on utilities, on export, and, and have the end product exported from Bahrain. Totally um, agree. You could even have Airbus come here and make their wings Absolutely. here today. Air Airbus is, is, a, is a buyer of, of al al Alba, of aluminium. But why can't they do it here? Um, you're strategically located geographically. You you have the proper shipping lines and everything. You just need to basically put things into proper perspective and, and create that zone for them that gives them the comfort. And you can still make it a green zone, believe it or not, even though it's industrial, because it's downstreaming and you can create training. You can create 62,000 jobs if you focus on down downstreaming of Alba. Totally and I'm not agree. talking th about this out of my head, it's because one of the projects that we were basically working on back in 2004, and we never succeeded in implementing it in spite of all the positive indications of how much value it will add 
and developing and training Bahrainis, creating job opportunities, uh, adding uh, you know, to the GDP, enhancing the GDP, enhancing exports. You are a country that has no raw materials. Imagine how you would enhance exports. Uh, but uh, but now I can see EDB has that on their agenda, and I, 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 I'm so looking forward to what Absolutely. will happen. I mean, the UK has been doing this for years and years and years, right? They just do assembly for cars, and that's how they got all these car exactly. manufacturers to locate there and just export it directly to Europe. And there's no reason why Toyota, why Mercedes, or any other car company can't do the assembly in Bahrain and then export it to exactly. the rest of the and Gulf countries. And you have privileges here that are much better than, than countries where they're based. So Either way, then they're they're gonna they're gonna be c savings for these organizations if they're ba based here, and if you just package it properly, it, it will add value. Absolutely, I mean, manufacturing is going through a tr transition at the moment. Uh, you know, uh, more and more is becoming automation and machine-heavy labor. Yeah. So it's it's tough to say what's going to happen with supply chains. Um, well, the people I've been speaking to, they've they've been mentioning how manufacturing jobs are going to disappear from China and move back into their local customer areas, so like US and stuff like that, just because of how developed now automization is. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's an interesting world, and we're going to see how, the, how the, all that is going to work out. Work out. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So you went from chocolate, and then where did you go next? I'm still in chocolate. Still in chocolate, I'm alhamdulillah. Still in chocolate, and um, today we are in a position where we are uh, about to do a rights offering to bring in more investors. Fantastic. And uh, expand the company to a bigger level. COVID, of course, did more damage to the organization because really? it, did, it did, it did. I would think that, oh well, because you, do you supply uh, directly to customers? No, only for shops. Exactly, and not just that, um, uh, the cost of raw materials and the shipping costs is what affected us. Uh, plus, of course, dine-in affected us. We had mm. to close our outlet immediately, early 2019, and, and focus on delivery, but also not everything can be delivered. There are certain products, you need to have it fresh there. The moment you deliver it, it's soggy, it's, it's not the same flavor, it's not the same temperature, so uh, more than 70% of our products are not deliverables. They basically have to be bought and, and, and eaten and consumed, and, and yeah. consumed in the shop. Um, we did create uh, packages where get well soon, you know, and Absolutely. I miss you and all that stuff, and it worked well. Not that it didn't, but we worked on a concept where we basically focus on cash flow rather than profit because we wanted to sustain the model and we needed to make it price efficient for consumers to be able to afford it based on the negative vibes that was happening and how people were so down and, and everybody was so de depressed. Stressed, of course. So it was more focusing on cash flow and sustainability rather than creating a profitable business. So the last two years has been very difficult for the shareholders because the company was just running on the basis of sustaining the model. And now today when COVID is slightly controlled, it's still not over, but slightly controlled. You have the hikes in prices because you're in an inflation position. You have a war happening in Europe. Uh, transportation prices have gone 3,000%. So imagine your packaging costs have gone up 3,000%. And you can't afford to sell something at that rate to the local consumers. It's never going to work. You have to be creative and make things locally, but also still prices are high. Parallel to that, uh, competition has increased 
in spite of COVID, in spite of negativity, we have seen an uprise in the number of CRs, especially in the FNB. Everybody's starting to open an FNB and close in 10 months, sadly, many of them. We have a shortage in labors, la uh, employee, mm. uh, lo local employees and expats because it's so expensive to hire from outside and bring people from outside. And the locals, even with the support of that Ministry of Labor Campine, and Campaign yeah. are doing, there is still a shortage. We do have a shortage when it comes to hiring. It takes us what took us before one month to find uh, potential candidates is taking us six months. I mean, I can I can attest to that. Yeah. Finding just my two guys that took me almost three months. Exactly. I've gone through hundreds of CVs and to find anyone who is qualified. And uh, perception of people has changed. They would rather work in uh, um, either a big organization conglomerate or a public organization rather than an SME mm. because they can see that SME has risk factors and they don't want to take more risks that would jeopardize their lifestyle, their families, uh, and so on. I mean, inflation in the U.S. has almost been up by 10%. Uh, they've been now talking about increasing interest rates if it hasn't happened already. Yeah. Uh, so it, it looks like we're, we're going through a downward cycle. I mean, people have been talking about a potential recession. Yeah for the last six years, oh, it's right? Yeah, <laughs> it's been a long time. Recession is here, inflation is definitely here. Um, the day, for example, Central Bank announced um, end of June uh, that they're not gonna defer loans anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, the raw materials and the food industry went up 40%, same day, 40%. And my, my operations team were crying. I said, listen, you cannot put that 40% on the consumer. Nobody's gonna buy from you. Nobody. You have to be creative enough to basically um, control for the costs. And, and to today, you know, with inflation and recession, again, we're back to cash flow. Focus on cash flow. Don't focus on profits. Don't focus on, on, on anything else because you have a very limited market. You have people who are very creative and working from home. And they don't have those costs that we have, LMRA costs and VAT costs and everything. You're literally competing against um, such... Uh, By the way, do you believe people working from home? Do you think that's a good idea, honestly? Uh, in the food industry, no. no. I don't think it's a good idea. And uh, this is one of the concepts we're working on now, and we hope that the Ministry of Commerce will support us and Ministry of Health, because you don't know how they're making it. And what we're trying to create is this lab concept where we would rent by hour, Okay. Or by day, but it would be a, a location uh, like a for cloud kitchen, for example, similar to that. Oh, okay. But it's also targeting um, uh, being an incubator, accelerator, and a cloud kitchen at the same time. And we're, we're actually working on this concept uh, called Maya Lab, where if you're somebody who has a home business, we will encourage you to have a virtual CR and you operate from this kitchen that we're making. Mm -hmm. where it has HACCP license, it has ISO license, and it will train and develop you to the standards that you would be ready and test and try your product in the shop that relates to this concept okay. as well, including deliveries and pickups, and test your product if it's viable enough for you to set up your own business without okay. you going through the hassle of setting up a full business and then losing up to 100,000 dinars of fit outs and, and kitchen equipment and everything. That's and a lot of Realizing cost. it's not working. And, and how would that, so would you, would it be more like an academic, uh, 
academic style where you would be actually training potential staffs on how to recreate? It would be a mix of both. both. It would okay. actually, what would happen is we would basically have the uh, incubator and accelerator project mm -hmm. and the cloud kitchen project and a cafe outlet. Okay. Now you would train, now anybody coming, even using the cloud kitchen has to go through a training okay. induction program where okay. you train them and you would license them to operate. Um, the machinery, the equipment, the hygiene protocol, the style of, of packaging. Food and safety, right. Food I and mean safety, you need to know these basics. Yeah. So even if you're not in the accelerator incubator program, you need to have the food basic uh, safety uh, protocol uh, to be able to operate there. Even if you're going to rent, uh, rent it one hour a day, you still need to go th through that program. Now, that program will be happening the moment you start renting. It will automatically be given to you free of charge because okay. we want to develop and train the standards, high-level standards that Bahraini people um, can achieve or people in Bahrain. They don't have to literally be Bahraini. Anybody who, who lives here and wants to operate uh, a business model. Okay, and the, the, but the business model would be have to, I imagine, be focused around food yes. or desserts or, or in that industry. Yeah, we initially we're focusing now, this is the issue, you cannot mix hot food and uh, desserts kitchen together. So initially we will be doing a model that will be exclusively focused on uh, desserts and chocolates and later we will do a replica of the same kitchen that will be focusing on hot food. And the, and the cafe perspective would be a way to bring profit, I think, into the venture? It would be a self-sustainable model of okay. an accelerator and an incubator. I like it. I like where it. Where you would actually, exactly, even from the renting of the kitchen, like you it. would actually self-sustain the model and not just rely on somebody funding it for life. You would need initially investors to come on board and fund it, but eventually, three years down the road, it will be self-sustainable. And then you can even franchise the model. Are you looking for public or private investors? Uh, both. Both. Yeah. At the moment. Okay. Yeah. And I, I like the idea with the cafe business because then that that gives a testing ground yes. immediately. Yes. You would actually, you know, uh, have your products there and the fridges, and uh, people you would see how much you're selling. Plus, the the uh, the, um, the individuals that will go through the program, we would have every three months we would have two programs of uh, ten uh, candidates. The top three will actually have pop-ups mm -hmm. that they will test for a whole month. That pop-up is part of this, which has an outdoor seating even and everything. And then we will take them into the next phase of having their own individual setup with investors, with an angel investor supporting them, and, and then um, get going out completely. So you'd literally, you know, the problem with accelerators and incubators is you just can't let them go the moment they, they uh, successfully exit the program. You, they need angel investors with them. They need funding, and you cannot impose on them, go take bank finance. That's what kills an SME. Bank finance with its high costs kills an SME. You need an angel investor or a, uh, a venture capital that would believe in the concept based on the testing and trial that we've done, based on the success rates that they have achieved and give them that, that opportunity to flourish. One of the reasons why the SMEs today are not succeeding in Bahrain, it's because they're relying on bank loans. I think it's, it, I think it's not just the financial, cap, cap, financial aspect that is hurting a lot of these uh, entrepreneurs. I think it, it is the lack of, of support. Of course, you right? need people on the board with you to support. It's a mentorship exactly, program. Exactly, exactly. To support, to, to, you know, to, to, uh, to gain the knowledge 
on how to run a company. Exactly. That's and why you need that VC or angel investor who can give you those contacts, who can help you with the steps necessary of, of getting where you need to go. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's a lovely concept. I think it, it definitely yeah. has potential. <laughs> it, it does. It definitely has potential of creating um, correct, you know, businesses in the correct way, guiding them, directing them, and giving them an opportunity to create a lifestyle for themselves. And how did this idea come about? You just woke up one day and you're like, listen, this is struggling. How it, are it, other people exactly doing it? Exactly. It, it came out of how we struggled. You know, if, if, if we had people on the board with us that would support us, uh, we would have been in a different uh, ballgame today. If we had um, in investors that would fund us instead of us taking bank loans, we would have a better IRR today because we would not be. And, and, in, and initially what happened is as shareholders, we took personal loans and injected it into the company. Oof. So that hurt us as well. Uh, and today uh, we don't have that infrastructure where SMEs can be valued and that valuation would be the collateral that would be given to the bank. You need to basically put in personal assets or personal guarantees to get that funding to run your business Absolutely. operations. And that's risky. I did it and, 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 and that's wrong. We shouldn't be doing that. That's not how internationally things are done. So it's about time uh, our investment banks and our local high net worth and family businesses invest in local businesses and support them to get to uh, you know global uh, recognition. Totally agree. You, you can't expect them to do alone, and you can't expect Export Bahrain to do this alone, uh, because Export Bahrain role is not to to bring in financiers and investors. Their role is to open doors, but there is a gap that's missing. You have Export Bahrain that opens the door for you internationally. You have the know-how. You have Bahraini people have the guts. They are creative. They think outside the box. But you have that middle part that's missing, that VC structure. What do you think with, uh, with the amount of people that I have sitting in your chair, the one common thing I keep hearing is, and I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, I keep saying Bahrainis need to leave Bahrain, go work wherever, and then come back and bring that knowledge into Bahrain. And I feel it's almost sad in an aspect because there's there's so lack of, of, of opportunities in the sense of being able to support, of starting your business, doing this, doing that, that it's almost in your own benefit to leave, go to Dubai, go to Saudi, go to wherever, go to US, study, work, spend 10, 15, 20 years, and then come back. It's... it's um, I'll tell you something. I, I studied in Bahrain. I even did my master's from Bahrain. It was uh, Hull University, but I studied here. Mashallah. I worked my all my life here. I graduated here. I worked all my life here. My daughter, I pushed her to go outside when she graduated, and she went to Abu Dhabi and worked for two years there, and then, but then she came back. Um, she did learn, yes. She learned to be independent. She learned to basically be self-sufficient. Uh, she learned in the sense of she her network circle got bigger. She got to know more people. She knows people living in different parts of the world. Uh, and then she brought back that knowledge and, and, and she started working here. Uh, but when I compare my, myself to her, okay, did she learn something I didn't learn locally? No. I have a big circle of networks because of the jobs that I took in Batelco and course. BBK. It all depends on you as an individual, how you network, how you basically, as I said, think outside the box. And, and Bahraini people have that initiative. 
you don't need to be working outside to get that initi initiative. You work outside because maybe there is an opportunity better than here. Okay. But Bahrain has the ideal platform for you to test your project if you want to become an entrepreneur. Because you have organizations like Campaign and you have organizations like Bahrain Development Bank. You test it, you try it out, but whatever you test and try, you need to make sure it has a global appetite. Of course. For you to replicate it outside. And then you bring in your investors to take it out. A lot of people are asking me why I don't expand in Bahrain and open more shops. Why would I do that? I'm talking to the same people. Bahrain is so small, why are people so lazy? You have the delivery techniques or systems available like Talabat and Jahiz and all these here. We have our own delivery team as well. Why would I go and invest 200,000 dinars in opening another coffee shop in Hamel? Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, you're not even sure how much revenue that's going to generate. Exactly. <laughs> Why don't I use that 200,000 dinars and open it in Sharjah, or open it in Riyadh? Dubai. Or in Dubai. Mm. Or mm. open a pop-up in London. Absolutely. Or in Singapore. This is how they should think. One of the other problems that we have in the FNB is that as small as we are, we don't have the delivery mechanisms for retail products. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To Eastern Province, which is 20 minutes drive, we don't have. If I'm in Paris and I want something from London, I get it. Even if it's a food product, it gets delivered to me. If it's a cake or if it's cupcake or if it's chocolate, why can't we do that locally here? DHL does it in Europe. They mm -hmm. have the system. They have the policies. They have the insurance. Why can't we do it here? Why do we only have to focus on wholesale shipping? If we open the door for the retail companies, if I want, I, I get requests for a box of chocolate on a daily basis from Saudi, but I, it's too expensive to ship it. Box of chocolate costs four and a half dinars, box of eight, costs me 16 dinars to ship it, and they don't have the fridge mechanism, so by the time the customer receives it, it's actually hot chocolate because it's totally <laughs> melted. Especially since it's a six-hour drive exactly, almost to Riyadh. Exactly, so why don't we have the system of delivering retail products because that's how you can open a bigger door for all the retail companies in FNB to test their mm. products outside Bahrain before physically even going outside Bahrain to see if the consumers have an appetite for their products. A lot of cu Saudi customers drive to Bahrain. I, I swear to God, we have a customer that drives to Bahrain from Riyadh to buy 20 babkas. Babkas is, is yeah, uh, you know what a babka is? 20 babkas. And he messages on WhatsApp, my team, Make it ready at this time. I'm going to be driving, coming, pick them up, go back to Riyadh. 20 babkas. Why can't I deliver that to him on a daily basis? And he comes every week. And if I had the delivery mechanism, I could deliver it to him every day. <laughs> I mean, how much does a van cost? 5,000 BD, exactly. 2,000 BD, yeah. whatever. How much is a, does a driver cost? 100, 150 BD a month? Mm -mm. Now, 300. Oh, if you're hiring Bahraini, though. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not thinking that. <laughs> the, 
the you can hire an expat for about 150 no, something no, like that. No, no, expat 300 for a driver today. Really? Things have changed ever since we've got companies like Salabat and the commissions that they're paying. Okay. This has increased the expat's uh, minimum wage. Really? That's some, that blew me away. You're lucky if you get a driver for 300 dinars now. Really? Yeah. Well, good for them. Yeah, but, but on the contrary, it's good. Yeah. It's, it's good. Why not let them enjoy, you know, they're... At the end of the day, you're supporting families. That's what's happening. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, the counter argument to that is always, you know, that money is being taken, earned in Bahrain and taken outside, That's right? That's the drawback. This, that is, this is where you need regulations. I you think so. You need to regulate the industry. And this is the problem that we're having today, that there are new industries coming up, but there is no regulations. So it's creating a sort of a monopoly situation where even others trying to enter the market are facing difficulties and are facing constraints, and that's not healthy. We are in a country that we're not supposed to monopolize sectors. Mm. We're, we're supposed to be an open market. Anybody can come, anybody can start a business and compete, and should be fair. But to do that, you also have to regulate the market, to stop uh, you know, certain- Negative externalities. Uh, especially, um, Companies that were the first in the industry to to basically impose their uh, their structures. I mean, it, it, absolutely. I mean, barriers of entry should always be as, as minimal as possible. Yeah. Uh, sadly, you find a lot of I, I don't know what the right word is. You find a lot of companies who come and do uh, monopolistic activities, yeah. and then using externalities in order to enforce their their barriers of entry. And then you have companies like Saudi or UAE who just come in and then they just decimate the market. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and then those monopolies sadly because they haven't been because they haven't been competing for the last five to ten years suddenly wake up and <laughs> they're in tears. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, it's all about regulation, and um, if the country puts in proper regulations and regulates the market, um, then you can ensure that you have fair competition and ethical competition. And you can't expect fair and ethical uh, competition if you don't have the proper regulations in place. Well, how big is your factory right now? <coughs> My factory can produce today, or is producing today, 30 tons of chocolate. Wow. We can go up to 300 tons of chocolate. Uh, in the same facility? The same facility. And it's not a big facility. It's 500 square meters mm -hmm. facility. Uh, we have today a total of 15 employees, uh, but you know if we can increase the number of employees and increase the production very easily overnight. So your only issue really a bottleneck is your supply side, right? It's basically um, competition. competition. Competition, really? Yeah. I never thought it would be that of all it things. It is competition. So it what you what the the next task, I guess, is to substitute to a different brand and produce a different product, right? Um, this is where we want to go to bean to bar, yeah. where we can even um, reduce our cost okay. and enhance our prices better so that we can capture a bigger market. Plus, when you go from bean to bar, uh, you can use that raw chocolate to, to enter bigger markets and to sell today. The highest two countries in terms of chocolate consumption are India and Saudi Arabia. And uh, Saudi is even into a lot of production. So they're, if, you know, they're next door. If we invest in creating that raw chocolate in bigger uh, quantities uh, with um, competitive prices, we can enter a bigger market and have a bigger share. And what would be your USP then for the long term? 
it's, it's basically ensuring that people uh, focus Brand consistency. on not just by focus on high quality chocolate production. Sh- sure. Today, even the European chocolate that is brought, sure. a lot of them have high concentration concentration of butter, sure. and sugar, and and for us, we want to basically ensure that we maintain that high quality. It, at the end of the day you have human beings that are consuming this chocolate and you have a very high level of diabetes in this part of the world which today is affecting a lot of other organs in the body uh, we having unfortunately seeing youth losing their foot or their fingers or their arms because of diabetes blindness blindness exactly you can't go and just sell things to people and not have a conscience of how it's going to affect them a lot of the chocolate that we're consuming today has cocoa butter, which is fat. Sure. And this is where obesity comes into perspective and high concentration of sugar. That enhances margins for the producers. And it tastes amazing when you eat it because it's sugar and butter. But the it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy. For us, our milk chocolate starts at 35. We would love to go even higher than 35, but unfortunately this part of the world do not accept it because they think this is dark it's mm. not milk uh, but it's gradual when we first started Maya in 2006 our six our dark chocolate sales was only five percent today we are selling 50 percent dark chocolate and what do you think the change was do you think it's 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 from from advertisements health awareness campaigns no. what we did is from our cus- customers sure. we started enrobing dark chocolate in milk in one Oh, okay. So as a consumer, you would buy a milk chocolate of course. or white chocolate, Yeah. but gradually your palate is getting affected because inside, 80% of what you're eating is dark. That is so interesting. And your palate would reach a situation that you cannot tolerate something with high sugar. Who, who came up with that idea? We came as a team. <laughs> no, I don't believe that. <laughs> we did. I swear we did. <laughs> We did, and that was the trick. We couldn't um, preach to people, and especially this part of the world. The moment you start telling them this is healthy, especially back in 2006, now people talk about healthy and, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. We started gluten-free before people knew what gluten-free is. In 2006, our fondant was made gluten-free. Until today, it's completely gluten-free. That's wonderful. That's and wonderful. At that time, nobody even understood what gluten-free was, and and we basically wanted to create that healthy aspect of product. But don't you feel like if you would create a campaign evolving around more healthy chocolate, informing customers, now education? Yes. Now yes. You, it I does. think yeah. And I do have a lot of these talk sessions where I get invited to to talk about our healthy products. This is one of them, and uh, and it does have it. it I, we could see the effect on people. We could see that they're understanding it better. Um, we we do see that attention now from the that consumer sector that's health conscious. Because how is your market campaign running at the moment? Do you do any online marketing? We're focusing media? mainly today on social media. Okay. That's our marketing campaign and uh, direct messages. To customers, recently I started doing uh, some videos, and, uh, and how are you finding it? Very interesting, very interesting. People are liking it. People are are understanding, appreciating it. It's difficult to grow on social media these days. It is difficult to grow on social media, but we have 
seen an, an increase in the number of followers over the last two, three years on the style that we're doing. We, we basically talk to different age groups. Okay. Uh, we, and we listen to the youth mainly and what they think we should do. Most of our advisors on social media S are between the age of 18 to 30. Okay, so and I'm sure the daughter a lot of yes, times yeah, sends you do. images yeah, and be yeah, like, hey, look at do, this and do. that. And, uh, and, and even the younger generation, we let them do some projects in school and I go to some of their schools and I talk to them about it and, and we use whatever they do. See, this chocolate fondant was done by an eight-year-old, this image. Open it down for if you don't mind. For a school project. Wonderful. He's eight years old. And how did he? How did he get? Did he just reach out to you and be like, yeah, "Yo, yo"? <laughs> we basically gave him the products and we told, show, showed him how to do it, and he took the pictures. He actually himself took the pictures. That's actually very well. That's a, that's a that eight-year-old definitely got <laughs> skills. Mashallah. <laughs> and he did this project, and and we used their images and we post them. So we, we give them that incentive, and then I go to their schools, and I thank them, and I give a talk, and I take chocolate for everybody. Hey. And, uh, you know, you're, you're building the future generation of your consumers. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what you're doing. I mean, w why do you think Apple gave so much student discounts, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. Because we're always uni students. Yeah. How, do you work with any influencers? We do. We do work with influencers. And, uh, and the nicest thing about the influencers we work with is many of them do it free of charge for us because... They get free chocolate. Uh, not They don't even want the free chocolate. They love it because it's a Bahraini brand. And they... You know, I they won't believe that. I swear to God. They're I not that altruistic. God. They are. I swear they are. You know, we had the other day um, this uh, act a Bahraini famous ac actor who has over 100,000 followers. She went there and she did a video and she posted it and our followers shot up immediately. Does that generate any sales, by the uh, way, for it you? It does, it does. So we, there we is a connection. We see a hike in followers. We see a hike in sales. Um, we have Bahrain Life supporting us. Um, uh, Ali Sabkar, he's doing a great job. And, and many influencers. Um, and yeah, a lot of them, you know, we just send them invitations and they immediately come over and, and do a video and post it. They're, they're, they're very s nicely supportive, I have to admit that. You know, especially the Bahrain influencers, they, they, they you know, the, you feel their passion and they want to see a Bahrain business succeed. They want to see, you know, you know it, it reach somewhere. You see that passion in their, in, in the way they handle things. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. I, I'm skeptical, but <laughs> that sounds but beautiful. I, I've, I've tested it. I've, I've tried it. Uh, honestly, I've tried it. Uh, okay, fantastic. And then how n after the chocolate, now you're with SJ... SJ Investments is the holding company. Is the holding company. It's basically where Maya comes. Uh, we've got two, two concepts of Maya. We've got Maya Chocolatry, which is the chocolate bar. Mm -hmm. and we've got Maya Delis, which is the chocolate factory and the retail. And SJ Investments is the holding company that basically um, uh, manages the HR, the accounts, uh, the administrative parts, the training and development of these two concepts. And with 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 Maya, with your 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 shareholders, do you give any dividends or not at all? 
we we did give dividends, but we stopped giving dividends um, since we lost the franchisees mm-hmm. uh, because we were basically into more maintaining the brand and stabilizing the brand because losing 80% of your cash flow. Of course, of course. But when things were looking good, yes, our dividends were big numbers. Um, Fantastic. That, that the shareholder, we, we were actually two partners, to be quite honest. Mm. Um, that's how the venture started, but now one of the partners exited, so now it's 100% myself. Uh, but we do have with share a buyout? options uh, with the buyout. We okay. have 100, uh, I own 100% of the company. And uh, we also have share options for our team because we consider them partners, not employees. Fantastic. And how big is the team? You said 15 percent. Today we have 15, factory. yeah. Oh, there was a, uh, that's not including the factory workers, though? And including everyone. Everyone, okay. Yeah. And you're offered divi- potential dividends or buy-ins for everyone working? We, we basically have allocated the percentage of the shares okay. uh, to the employees. Because I, I've always been a kind of person who doesn't believe in dividends. I think yeah. I think it's it's poison. <laughs> I think the moment you know investors start tasting it, yeah. you're done. Yeah. Um, and this is what happened. The moment it stopped, the investor exactly. Out. Now I've taken over 100 percent, but we have a track record. We've done well. We've managed to have big dividends when the company had its all its franchisees, and today it has potential to go to the next level and that's where we need investors to get inject money so we actually open locations outside Bahrain and then encourage more franchisees to How much are you hoping board. to bid for? What, what kind of numbers are you looking for? Um, it de- dep- we are now finalizing the valuation of the company. We've appointed an investment company that is doing the valuation, mm-hmm. an independent company that's doing the valuation. Uh, hopefully within the next few weeks it will be ready and we would have price tag on Maya. Okay, but w- y- do you have an idea of how much you'd l- how much you'd like financial buy-in as an idea? If we're w- open to uh, to selling up to eighty percent of the company. Okay, up to eighty percent. Okay, and uh, because my head, I'm just thinking, right? You're you're you have two options, right? You can either go directly to investors or you can put it on the stock market. Yes. Which I'm assuming you're not too interested in putting on the stock market. That's the exit for the investors coming in. Okay. Okay. So you already have that all strategized yes. in. Yes, because <laughs> The idea is the idea was always to take Maya to IPO. Okay. Um, for the uh, existing shareholders and for the future shareholders, but we want the IPO to be at a proper valuation that we had back in two thousand and eight, uh, which got dropped because we lost. Of course, of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. And then basically the crash of the market and everything. Um, to do that, you need to have outlets open in different countries to run and, and to bring that valuation because we know it will sell. We know it will do good. We've, we have a track record, proven track record, that the brand was doing impressively well in, in different countries. Uh, in, in Qatar, it, break, it broke even in eight months. Hmm. In, in UAE, That's very it impressive. broke even in, in 18 months. So in impressive. Saudi, it broke even in 18 months. And th- that tells you that the brand has the cap- cap capability. Today, market has changed. I'm not going to tell you it's going to break even in the same time frame, sure. but if you have an FMB concept that breaks even in three years, that's a viable business model. And this is where we're leading. We're looking at a viable business model of three years break even. M- most businesses don't even manage three exactly. years to break even. We're, we're, s- we're not saying eight months and 18 months. We're saying three years. And, and we want to be realistic. Mm. Things have changed. Today we're not 2008 and or 2010. Things have changed. You are in recession. 
your inflation, uh, but still we're working on the basics of reducing the raw product to ensure that whoever comes on board can enjoy better margins without affecting the sales mm. to the consumer, um, and the consumer can still enjoy that high quality product, open a new line, a new brand, as you rightly said, which focuses on retail and mass market distribution through supermarkets. Um, that's definitely going that way and open, um, you know, what we've learned today is that Maya can be six types of outlets. That's yeah. what we have reached and we have six models. Um, a model that will cost you 50,000 and a model that will cost you 500,000 dinars, you know, all the way from a basic concept to all the way a high and Dior style of, of Amaya. And we've tested and tried and, and managed to, to crunch the numbers and know what it takes to do it and, and, and what it takes to have it. I, I think, because those are the kind of questions I keep coming back to, mm. is that given a quick cash injection, mm. giving a large cash injection, where would you take that cash to? Yes, you mentioned you wanted to go upstream. Yes, you mentioned you'd like to either own the farms or own the manufacturing process. You do already do some manufacturing in Bahrain, but you don't do the physical turning the, 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 turning the beans. beans into cacao, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you, you do have some plans of, of potentially separating the brand into, into sister companies and mm -hmm. saying, hey, you know what, we do bar chocolate. Hey, you yeah. know what, we, we might work with, with supermarkets, restaurants, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. I mean, with your influencers and with your potential staff, you could be knocking on every high middle end restaurant and saying, hey, you know what? Even five star hotels, hotels. which we do today, by the way. Oh, fantastic. We, we are supplying many five star hotels in Bahrain with their um, amenities. Um, some of them are branded Maya, some of them are branded under their name, so we do white labeling. We do even work with a lot of flower chocolate shops. Oh, really? Where we basically produce white label brand, uh, products for them line, which is exclusive for them. Maya's name is not there. Uh, and we're doing it at very competitive prices. And we basically so tell smart. them, uh, you don't have to go bring a container from Lebanon that basically, you know, 30,000 dinars and, it, and half of it you have to throw out because you don't have the proper chocolate storage facility. We produce for them monthly, weekly, daily, based on the quantity that they want. That's so smart. And we deliver to them even in boxes that doesn't have Maya's name and cards that doesn't have Maya's name, and it's branded their product. But if you notice, we're still giving that good quality chocolate distribution to consumers through other outlets and giving them an opportunity to sustain their business model without having to have to import big quantities from outside, low quality chocolate with high cocoa butter and sugar, storage, uh, you know, they don't have to invest in having storage facilities. We store it for them in our facilities and we deliver it to them when they want. You see, because Scott Galloway, I think one of maybe the best professors currently at NYU, uh, he, his laddering strategy, he talks about differentiation, relevancy, and environmental, meaning that in any time you wanted to invest in any company, that's, but I think, I, yeah, I think, I think I'm so attracted to him because I look so much <laughs> like him. You do. <laughs> yeah, being bold, being bold and having glasses. Young, younger version. <laughs> I, think, I think that's why I quote from him so much. Yeah. But he, he makes an excellent point. And he says, look, when you're looking at a product in a competing industry, how differentiated is it to its competitors? Uh, how relevant is it to the customer base? And then how easy is it duplicatable as in the environmental aspect, right? And from what I see from, from Maya and hear from you from Maya, I personally have never tasted it. Sorry. <laughs> but I'll definitely go out today and I'll, I'll definitely try your chocolate. 
Um, and it, 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 it comes back to, to gnawing on my head because I'm so worried that, that, that a more richer or potentially more, more experienced company or, or larger in, uh, company could come in and just look at Maya and then be like, hey, you know what, we can duplicate these processes. Oh yes, they can. Yeah, there's a chance that I can put the message across for people to, um, to learn from, sure. uh, to use, why not? Sure. Nothing is a secret anymore. Oh, everybody knows almost everything, but yeah. if there's certain things, experiences that would help somebody, will will be um, an incentive, will inspire, will support somebody not to do my mistakes. Why not? That's beautiful. If I had somebody to do this for me when I started, uh, I might have been in a better place. I might have been more successful in a shorter time. I might have avoid avoided a lot of the mistakes, a lot of the losses. I lost a lot of money. But uh, then you wouldn't be who you are today, though. True, very true. But also my success rate would have been bigger. I could have been more of a global brand Leader. name today, more, you know, than, um, than, than where I am today. Losing all these franchisees is not a joke. Sure. Um, uh, if somebody had advised, don't franchise to one company, five countries, you know, and, and we took it from the perspective that, oh, it's relaxing. They're passionate about the brand. Let's go with the let flow. Let the Let me be. Exactly. If they want somebody else, you wants know, to handle but, it. But sometimes you need to stop and think, okay, it's maybe more beneficial to work with somebody else so that you don't risk everything. But don't you see it's a blessing in disguise? At least it was five countries and not ten. Yeah, true. Right? <laughs> but Le it was a lot of stores. <laughs> sure, okay. I mean, it sucks in high, you know, it sucks at the moment, but... <laughs> Many stores. <laughs> okay. What is it now, 14 years ago? Uh, yeah. Who cares? Write it off. Rather, rather something like this than something major. But see, the problem is, the problem is, the consumers still did not forget we lost all these tours. It's Do you really think there. they stay remember? No, no, it's still there. It's th there is still that crack. Sure. Uh, I mean, what's the total population if you consider all those countries, those five countries? Oh, it's, it's a big 100 country. million, maybe? Because it's 8 oh. billion people on the and planet. this is why we want to target opening in different countries other than Saudi where we still have live customers. You know, Saudis, even though we shut down, we still have customers that come to us. We still have customers that call us. We still have customers that arrange a driver to come and pick up stuff and take well it. That's for brilliant. Them. That shows you um, the brand power. So it has potential. And us being there, um, you know, will have potential. Couldn't, profitable. couldn't you just get a van, put a fridge in it, yeah. store the chocolate? Not that easy with on the causeway. Um, when it comes to taking products into really? Saudi, you have the logistics, the customs issue is is quite the hassle. Still, still till now? It is, it is quite a hassle. And um, what about if you if you put a plant in near Saudi, a small kitchen? That would make life very easy, yes. So there would be a potential yes. of doing something like that. Yes. And then just send two people across the causeway. Definitely. Eventually, you can't produce everything from Bahrain. Eventually, once you grow, this, this is the dynamics of the project, that if you have enough locations, you would need to set up a mini plant that would uh, support and, and supply to all these locations in the country itself, especially when you're looking at a country like Saudi Arabia, or if you're, you're in Europe, then you would need an operation somewhere in, in Europe because logistics would be much easier and, and uh, more efficient. I mean, that sounds like a good plan to yeah. slowly head that way. And then, so the only hang up right now is, is to get that evaluation, that cash injection, yeah. and then, and then go at it. And fly. Absolutely. <laughs>
And, and do you see yourself being of running the day to day or do you think no, you want to? Definitely not. Yeah. Uh, the team is there. They can manage. We need new people to come on board on the boards to do to to add better value. Um, sometimes you need to have other people with you because when you're doing the same thing for a long time, then you get a bit blocked. Sure. So you need other people with you to, to work with you, to support you, to guide you, to give you new advice, fresh advice. You, you need, need new that. blood. You need new blood, definitely. And definitely. have you considered getting involved with one of the four? Big, uh, uh, either Goldman Sachs or Deutsche Bank or any of them, from a consultancy basis, just because they can help you with your supply chain, finding customers. At this stage, it's too expensive for us. I would put it that way. But that that would be a dream. But I don't. I them. don't think. I mean, you. You. It, it depends on how good your brand is. You can do defer payments to the big four. You can. You can. Which then becomes a question. Hey, you know what? Is it worth it? Or you use that money to actually expand. Exactly. I would say, um, let us expand. Let us bring in the initial placement. Um, do the my initial expansion, and then you bring in the big guns to do the for the IPO, so that you can then ensure that for the IPO you expand that valuation properly. That's, it's one of the difficulties, right? Because I think if you had this brand and you had it at this stage in the US or even in, I think especially in the US, yes. you'd be 10 times 100%. minimum bigger. 100%. Just because of the allocations of resources and the push definitely. from the industry. Definitely, and definitely. Yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? It does, <laughs> it does. And, and, and if we had done the franchise agreement joint venture franchise, maybe we would have been in a better perspective because we would always have control on the shops. You know, one of the problems was that a lot of the audited reports that were being sent to us were... Double invoiced. <laughs> <laughs> because they, they, they want to basically reduce the royalties. That yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've had that problem too. Yeah. <laughs> But when you are a partner and a franchiser, then you would have that control. But that's so stupid, though, isn't it? Because you're still supplying them. So you, you'd immediately know and be like, wait, why are we supplying this much if your sales are only this much? But again, when you're supplying chocolate, it's different than the sales of the retail shop because <sighs> a lot of the products are being made locally there. Okay, so they're substituting with us. So you had to actually send somebody to yeah. go and check it out yeah. then. <laughs> well, but also learned. when we started at that time technology was not that advanced that you would have a point of sale that you can watch while you're in Bahrain today you have that efficiency mm. um, that you can have a point of sale where I would have on my mobile access to it and see the sales transaction happening in Saudi or happening in London or happening anywhere else and that technology was not there back in 2006. And w have you never considered maybe maybe finding local talent in one of the other five countries and then being like, you know what, we'll put for the cost, whatever the sh shop cost is, 50000 or whatever else, w w we'll give it to you on a low interest. That's exactly how we want to do now when we're talking about expansion. Okay. That we have a local partner that would manage it, but okay. we would actually put, put in the, the investment and everything, and, and they would run the show, but they would have uh, uh, shares in the company. They would be owners, not just employees. Which I love, by the way, yeah. that concept, because you can sell that debt. Right, and so, so you're not even you're not even carrying exactly. that debt on your on your balance sheet. Exactly. Right, so you can give out that money, you yeah. sell that debt, you're out of it. <laughs> but, 
and, and I've already put in place in Saudi people who are standby ready, the same thing in UAE who are standby ready, the same thing in India who are standby ready. So this is how it's going to be, that we will basically have them, they would have X percentage and they would be running the day-to-day -day and everything. Uh, and uh, we would have the operations perfectly done instead of us having to, and we'd have somebody who would just be monitor and you know, once uh, every quarter just go from one place to the other to review everything and double check. Whew, that yeah. sounds like a brilliant idea. Yeah. I know a guy, I'm, I'll, tr I'll try to put you in contact with him. He works now for, I don't know who. Uh, do you remember the, the restaurant uh, Chico? Yeah. Do you remember that chef who was there for a little while? He was the Italian like chef? That Italian yeah. chef? He's working for a firm now, I okay. think with Oman, and they own like a, they've, they worked with him, and he's getting like I think ten percent or fifteen percent of of total revenue or total profit. And he's managing now five or six restaurants, Italian right. restaurants and malls and stuff right. like that. So he knows, I think, very much that business aspect more than probably any these us four in that room <laughs> <laughs> here. So I'll definitely try to put you in contact with That's him because he can definitely. Oh, I love Chico's, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's shame that he left though. So he, 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 he has nothing to do with Chico's anymore? Gone completely. Ah. He's been gone now for almost six months. Ah, that's sad. Yeah. That's sad because he's doing a great job, but good for him. Absolutely. Good for him. I mean, he's now managing a company that has five or six Italian restaurants. Good for him. And they're good using his him. name. Good for him. Yeah, and so he's... he's oh, um, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's lapping it up now. Good. Absolutely. Good for him. I, I love the idea of, 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 and what kind of interest rates are you thinking of charging to your potential franchisees? 6%? Uh, royalty, we, we call it royalties, we don't call it interest rates. Royalties start from 4% to max of 6%. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And that, it, I mean, if you were putting it that way, you're, you'd, be, you'd be below the interest rate. <laughs> okay. But but it's it's also uh, what we do is we start at the bottom low four so that we give them time to break even and then once the break even happens, we basically increase the the royalty to six. But we don't go beyond six percent. Okay. Uh, we we need to make it a win-win situation for both. And at at five and six percent, it seems good, you know. And plus, there's also the chocolate sales that we sell. There's the furniture. Um, there's the um, refrigerators, the machines. Uh, I imagine. No everything. machines. Actually, we give them the green light to to buy. What? But it has to be specific brands. Okay. Yeah, we we don't interfere in the machine as long as it's specific brands. Unless it's a it's a new brand, then we basically do our investigation. We charge a fee to do the investigation on the brand. Uh, but uh, and and of course we sell them the dry products for the desserts that they of make. Course, so of course, so we're already making margins on that. So what about the packaging and stuff like that? Packaging, we basically give them the option either because as part of the royalties, we give them the designs if they want to make it locally or if they want to buy it through us, then we basically uh, create it for them. Because that's how McDonald's makes its most of its yes. money is through the packaging yes. but by we selling we it. We we try to be flexible on okay. packaging. Especially now with China being so expensive, hmm. uh, because what we used to do before is we used to go and make it in China, and we used to make bulk. Uh, you know, we used to spend, uh, we used to bring two containers worth of packaging every six months, and then distribute it. So the price of the packaging was efficient enough for them that they would never get it locally. 
but now with the hike in logistics, it's too expensive. So we need to be a bit flexible until things settle down. <sighs> and you don't have the spare capacity to send somebody to all these countries and work out all that trade agreements either. Yes. Sucks. But uh, we're now investigating Jabal Ali mm -hmm. because Jabal Ali has opened a replica of China and mm -hmm. Jabal Ali, and one of my team is actually going there uh, after Eid to test and see the companies that are under that structure and to see if we can start the ball rolling in terms of all our packaging and uh, products that we need. And if it works, we might start again. So, you know, uh, but it again, it has to be a win-win situation for us and the franchisees. Normally, we used to give them our price and they used to come and say, no, you know what, you make it. Locally, it's more expensive. Mm. But they need to feel comfortable that we're not taking them for a ride when it, ca it comes to the prices because we are a Bahraini brand sure. that started from Bahrain. Sure. We're not a McDonald's sure. that's been here forever sure, sure, or sure, a sure, Ladore sure. that's been for 100 years in, in France, you know, in Paris. Uh, you need to build that confidence, but we are transparent enough to tell them, okay, if you buy the packaging from us, it's this price. You can go check if you can get something cheaper, lower, as long as it's the standard and you need to send us the sample to approve it sure. before you go for production, uh, you can do it. Imagine um, the color coming off on that cake. Exactly. <laughs> um, so 99% they bought it from us. Dan, can you look up uh, the $300 chocolate bar? <laughs> because I really do believe there is a definitely a market for, for, for high-end chocolate yeah, it bars. Gold, it's uh, edible gold on it, I think, the $300 uh, you can. I mean, uh, how, much is, how much is edible gold? Uh, like $2? No. No. It is, no. It's 24 carats. Yeah, the sheet, though. Uh, that's cheap. Carats, yeah, but the sheet is cheap, each though. Each booklet has um, six sheet, uh, ten sheets is uh, 35 BD. 35 BD. Okay, that's about uh, $7.70. Uh, oh, that's ten about sheets of, uh, you're $80. Talking about uh, six by six centimeters. Yeah, but that's also B2C. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm sure they'll be a lot cheaper if you yeah, do B2B. If yeah. you get B2B, it would be cheaper, yeah. Yeah, look, that's, that's, you can yeah. duplicate a process <laughs> like that. Look. But you don't have the client base in Bahrain for this. Yeah, you sell it internationally. You have this in Dubai, not in Bahrain. Yeah. yeah. Bahraini yeah. people cannot afford. We sell our bars. The most expensive bar is one dinar 900, and I get drama. And it has fillings in it, you know, massive fillings of nuts and caramels and everything, and I get drama. Yeah, I mean, you get drama because you're <laughs> targeting the wrong market, I think. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. if you. If and, and, and in Qatar, I told you, my chocolate, I sell here 1 kg 30 to 35 BD, in Qatar, 90 BD, and they were selling. 100 kgs in two days. But don't you think that your problem is maybe location in Bahrain? Yeah. Do you think that, you know, what, what, what's and that? And this is why I'm not investing in opening more stores in but Bahrain. I understand that, but why don't you go to Moda Mall, for example? It's still, it's the purchasing power of the people of Bahrain. Moda Mall people uh, sure, sure, are sure, still facing sure, a problem. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. I mean, I, whenever I go through that mall, it's almost yeah. destitute, right? Exactly. So then your other option is going to Dubai to the city mall. <laughs> Riyadh, even Eastern Province, having a location in Eastern Province. I mean, how how much is it to to, to open up just a quite expensive. The pop rent up. there is quite expensive. Even for a pop up. Even for for a pop up, um, we basically were checking for a pop up in the middle of the mall. Sure. You're talking about six hundred BD per square meter. Can you go back to the to the Google image with the three hundred dollar one? 
the, the th sorry to bring this back up, because the thing I love about this mm. is that if you create a fake product around that mm. and then just give it to, to high VPs, they can, yeah. that is such a genius idea, yeah. right? I mean, it's, it's, if you just create that as a fake product, a duplicate, and then go to all the high, to, to all the business owners or VPs that you want to get into contact with and give those as gifts, and they just have to see that on their website or whatever Not else. Not Bahrain VPs, by the way. No, 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 no. Dubai, yeah. UAE, Saudi yeah. Arabia. And this is the beauty that we can do this. But mm. you know what is the other problem? People go to companies outside Bahrain when they have events because they want to show off, I brought this product from sure, sure, sure. country sure. and they've paid an arm and a leg, not 300, maybe even $1,000 per product. Uh, it's more to them poshy than buying a brand that's locally made by Bahrainis. And by the way, I forgot to tell you, I'm a professional chocolatier. I studied the art of making chocolate and I am that's now not a real training. Thing. I'm training all the team. So anybody new that comes works with me for one month. Who, who gives you that, that, that plaque? I went to Ecole Chocolat and I did the training online okay. and then I did one of the training programs in Belgium as well. Oh and wow. I have a certification and I learned <laughs> how to perfect the art of making chocolate. So how to control humidity, how to control temperature. And imagine the two worst enemies of chocolate is humidity, humidity and, and temperature. And, temperature. And, and what is the humidity in Bahrain? Mm. 40% almost, Exactly, yeah. and we don't add additives and preservatives, so how do we maintain eight months shelf life? That was a nightmare for me, working on and, and losing hundreds and hundreds of kgs of chocolate until I perfected it. Well, you just have to, can't you just get one of those like cigar rooms? Uh, it still won't work. It really? It still affects, from the wall it affects. It's, it's and you know, we have a temperature, humidity thermometer in the, in the chocolate sure. room. If it goes above 55, work has to stop, staff have to leave. Really? Yes. That sounds like a huge pain in the ass. Otherwise, you will not get your shine. And you're selling that bar for a B BD? One dinar 900, yes. Even my enrobed nuts. You know the enrobed nuts? Mm. A lot of the companies, the Harrods ones, for example, that you bring today, what they do is they roast the nut, they put it in this machine, which is like a cement mixer, they add the chocolate, and they add this material, uh, which gives you the shine. And mm. the whole process takes one hour. Dan, can you go back on the Instagram? Then let me ask you this. I just heard your process. Yeah. It sounds beautiful. I didn't explain my process. No, no, no. That I was the general process. I understand, I understand. That the reason I'm interrupting yeah. you is, why the hell are you not posting that? We do post. If you go on uh, Maya Delis, you, there's two companies. Maya Delis has all the nuts and everything. Because th that to me is such more an interesting post. We do. And then 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 summer drinks. We do. These are because of the menu, but our process takes nine to fifteen hours. And how many units are we getting out of that? Uh, you're getting fifteen kgs. Fifteen kgs. Okay, but why does it take this much? Because I don't use the th last third part where they add a material to give you the shine. I get the shine naturally from the chocolate. So I have to heat and freeze the enrobed hazelnut or the pistachio or the almond or the strawberry until the chocolate cracks and naturally shines and that gets affected sometimes if the humidity is high in the room or outside or the temperature is not stable and I have to redo the whole process all over again the next day. But it's natural. 
I'm getting the shine from the chocolate naturally without adding a third ingredient. And sometimes that third ingredient might not be an Arabic gum, might be an artificial sure. ingredient, which is not healthy, but it gives you a beautiful buttery shine. For us, it's not a beautiful buttery shine. It's a natural shine that you get. Again, it, it seems like it, it seems like a travesty to not educate your consumers. We do. I swear, I, I do these these sessions myself. I talk about them. I explain it to them. But how is it not that every post and every story <laughs> and every like marketing material? I, I don't do. see that. I swear I do. I've we're we're what we're nine so we're we're nine posts deep now or how many <laughs> posts deep now? More oh, twelve. Because I think that's the, the Even our cakes, part. by the way, we never have ready cakes. Hmm. Because I'm not going to sell you a cake that is one day old or three days old. We make your cakes fresh on the day of your delivery. Everything is made fresh. You need to educate your customers. You uh, need to educate your customers. There's a post of me saying that about the cookies. It says, you know, they, they, uh, that was on the other one, that you never, you're never going to get these products to come in. And a lot of people are people... Sorry, our consumers are lazy. They want to come and buy. Okay, I be, might be selling a product that's five days old. But customers don't know what they want. S Steve Jobs famously said it. You have to tell them <laughs> what do, they want. I do, I swear I do. <laughs> <laughs> Even my team, you know, we've got the wa WhatsApp account. My team explained to them, I'm sorry, we don't have these cakes fresh because we make them fresh for you. I don't care. <laughs> she goes, I don't care. I want the product now. It says, but it's made fresh. You need to, at least even if you order in the morning, by afternoon it's ready. Then, then wh why instead of, saying, instead of saying it's not available because mm -hmm. of stock issue, just give an absorbent price, right? Because at, at least then the, the, the mind... But Maya is not a French brand for them to pay that price. That's true, but nobody says you can't be a French brand, right? I mean, all you have to add, all you have to you do... You know what? We were doing much better. When we launched the brand, mm -hmm. um, one of the strategies we had was that... Um, um, and I worked with Vahid Mehran Farah, and, and mm -hmm. I love this guy because he's a guru in branding. Um, and I told him, Vahid, look, I want you to position the brand in a way that anybody looking at it would say, okay, this brand has been here forever. It's, couture. it's a brand that's been brought from out of Bahrain, mm -hmm. and it's been here for 100 years. And for many years, people thought that. We didn't publicly tell people we're a Bahraini brand. That's the only way to succeed in Bahrain. And we succeeded. But the moment we started being very proud you know, of our brand that we are Bahrainis, exactly. It backfired on us, and and we. I we learned that lesson as well, by the way. We, we thought now we've got our customer base, we have our franchisees. Now we're going to proudly admit we are. By the way, we are a Bahraini, so that we're a precedent for others to follow. We fell so flat on our face that it's crippling us, and that's sad. I think a very easy solution to fix that issue is is you can start a shell company in france with very little money right we're talking about a few hundred bd yeah and then put that name of that the the maya we, under stopped, that shell we've company stopped from now any new packaging we're doing so, and it breaks my heart that before we always used to say proudly made in bahrain now we don't add that why do you think i don't put anything about bahrain in the podcast but, by the but way that <laughs> breaks my heart but that's what, what customers 
are we giving to, to the next generation? But the problem is the customer base and the education on the customer level because they assume anything made Bahrain must be cheap quality, must be bad, must be whatever. I will not believe if you claim that your brand was French that people would complain that a bar of chocolate would be one BD yeah. or one dinar. Yeah. I do not believe yeah, that. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. I so 100%. I think there's your quick solution. 100%. Uh, and 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 even when we tried to promote our raw chocolate, which we were testing, and they were asking, "Is it made in Bahrain or is it European?" And we would say, "It is European." Okay, we buy it. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Especially if you, wh why don't you just next time when somebody calls saying they want a cake, immediately say, "Just oh, you know, it's not been delivered from France yet." <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You, but you know, it's, it saddens me that Bahraini people are so educated. And 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 to culture, and then they would act like this. This is. Um but that's the problem. Is is isn't so much that they're actively thinking that way. It's that subconsciously their association with Bahrain and products is low quality and cheap. But what message are we giving to the next generation of entrepreneurs? But right now you're like Toyota, who wants to now be Mercedes. What did Toyota do? They made Lexus. Lexus. Right. Sure. Got it. So, I, I mean, you, you just yeah. look at history and you, you can see yeah. what the right path is. It's not that Lexus is like infinitely better than Toyota. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree with you. The same thing with Maybach. Yeah. It's owned by M Mercedes and Maybach didn't function very well, which was the opposite case because mm -hmm. nobody remembered the name. Yes. And so now they called it Maybach Edition on your Mercedes. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm. Makes sense. So, any plans now to switch it over to a French <laughs> brand? We've been we've been looking at this big time. Um, yeah. To What's actually open a shell company in Belgium, uh, to be the main holding company. And why haven't you pulled the trigger yet? Um, we'll do that with the restructuring of the new shareholders. You, I, I mean, I'm worried about those <laughs> new shareholders, because you're gonna have to be sitting there and explaining for to them on how to do it. Yeah, yeah for like two hours. So, so uh, you see, our idea is to. Uh, put it under Shell Company in Belgium, huh? Yeah. <laughs> right? That, that would be the first thing, right? True, true. And then they were like, the manufacturing is in Bahrain, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, but, but now we don't put made in Bahrain. I think, yeah, that's we a wise choice. We don't, we stopped. That's if you look choice. at our packaging, it just has Maya. There's no proudly made in Bahrain anymore. Um, even though I was a big ambassador for this, and I was encouraging a lot of people. You got slapped hard. Sla I got slapped hard. I got slapped hard. But, you know, it, it's, 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 it's market perception and consumer perception, and I think the only way I could imagine it changing is if a, a, a Dior, Chanel, or a big brand like that would do manufacturing with us. in Bahrain. That's the only way. The, the problem is we do have some big names that are, are uh, working with us, but they don't want us to announce. Exactly. You know, they, they know our quality, they know our standards, and they know how our prices are efficient. Uh, but we can't put our brand name uh, uh, on the on the boxes, on the product. Uh, and for us, we we have to, we're running a business. So at the end of the day, we can't argue. Do you do you, so? You told me. Do you work with the Four Seasons or sh or, or Ritz? Four Seasons. Four Seasons. Mm -hmm. Okay. And did, because Ritz has also cake collection, have you not tried to? We have tried, but it's been a nightmare getting to Ritz. Really? <laughs> Internally, they have too much politics. Yeah, we've <laughs> been trying it since pre-COVID, and uh, but uh, for seasons, uh, their internal system is so efficient, and uh, they're so nice working with, and 
their chefs come and see our setup and they were impressed with how efficient our standards of work are. Uh, they were blown away uh, with what they saw. The, it, Ritz is really, really weird because mm -hmm. I, I heard a story, uh, well, I know it from, from fact actually, that they use a third party to buy their uniforms for their clothing to then use that third party to sell to them. Most probably this is the same situation which nobody's telling me. And exactly. every time I ask them, where is our issue? They say it's with purchasing. They have to open a file for you. And it's been three years now. Yeah. Literally three years. And we have this amazing bankruptcy law, which is so beautiful when you read it. But when you imp imp impose, it. impose it and apply it, a mess. It's a big mess. Uh, and I applied for one of my companies for bankruptcy. Um, they're even refusing to give me the trustee's document <laughs> for us to review why he's refusing this company to go for bankruptcy because we know there are some uh, issues. issues that people we're w you know are expecting uh, money out of this company and they played it with the trustee and even though we ticked all the boxes of the bankruptcy, we literally ticked, and they wanted to put the issue on hold to come after the shareholder personally, so they basically ensured that this bank's bankruptcy doesn't go through because of their personal agendas. How can you function like that? It, again, it, sooner or later, I think as, 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 as Saudi cleans up, it's going to spread to the rest of the Middle East. UAE has already cleaned up as well, and it's just a matter of time before Bahrain... Yeah, UAE has been cleaning up for a while now. In 2003, I was working with a group of officials, government officials, um, on the uh, resort project that was stopped here, the Salam project, they call it, which is close to Bilad Jazar. And suddenly, overnight, the official disappeared. <laughs> Literally, I swear to God, he's not answering me. He, he flew to Bahrain, and I did a full presentation to him, and suddenly, not him, not his team. And then I go and ask around, where is this guy? He goes, yeah, he bought one of the apartments in one of the buildings that was under his project, for his wife, he bought it. Mm. He didn't take it for me, he bought it, he paid money. He's in prison now. And he was a local Emirati, imagine, because he says it's very clear, you're not allowed to do that. B uh, mix personal things with, um, with, uh, with the government. Know, government, government absolutely. So I'm like, what? <laughs> he bought it for his wife and he paid, you know? Says, no, no, you can't. Because al-awliya is for the public, not uh, for you to choose which one you want and uh, for your wife. I, like I said, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time, and 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 it's just like a wave, you know. I hope. And I, I, no, I you see one of you know one of the what I'm hoping Bahrain would do is to do that. You need you need something. You need a minister that handles strategic issues, which UAE started, which Saudi started, which Egypt has. Egypt has. Today, with all the amazing changes in the ministerial factors, they've put an, a minister who's in, in charge of SDGs, mm. but they haven't put a minister who's in charge of strategic planning. Mm. Uh, I know they have a Lejna Tansiqiyya headed by the Crown Prince and Prime Minister, but the Lejna Tansiqiyya has limitations also. It's not a day-to-day -day job. When you have a minister that handles the strategic planning of the entire country and brings together all these ministries to talk together, 
and not work independently, then you can see that change Absolutely. that you're talking about. Then you can see that erosion of corruption. This I was hoping to happen with this change of ministerial, but unfortunately it's still it's not there. It's going to take, take time. Uh, th which I'm hoping, Annie, would happen because once you have that in place, then you're connecting all the dots. Today we still have that problem of every ministry working independently, and that's wrong. You know, there has to be link between all of them. You and and to, to emphasize the vision and em emphasize the strategy, you need to have that individual. Yeah, which the real shame of all this is that this Bahrain could very easily be uh, like 1970s uh, um, Singapore. It could be very easily. With the system that it currently is, it could be yeah. exactly that. But for that to happen, you need FDI. Exactly. Right? And exactly. you can have the system running exactly like it is now. But, but to have the FDI, you need to have efficient legal system. Every FDI assigns a consultant to check a country's legal system, financing system, corruption. These are the three main things they look at. Do you know what, what BlackRock designates Bahrain as? What? To its investors? Hmm. Friendly investment. Yeah. That's it's all that's that's one page. <laughs> it's literally just a one sentence and that's all it says. Friendly my explanation. <laughs> yeah, <it's> exactly. <laughs> but if you have that, then use it. Market it. Use it efficiently, exactly. Yeah, I, I use it efficiently. I and mean, I'm surprised there's EDB. I and mean, EDB should be running the show and, and, and banging on the table and saying legal system needs to be fixed for but us to do something. I mean, right now you have a perfect opportunity, right right now you have Russia right now exactly. just bleeding. And it's and just a looking. UAE jumped on, on the situation. Absolutely. And the U.S. was pissed off, but nobody cares. Yeah. You saw with, MB uh, with MBS when Biden called them. MBS yeah. didn't pick up the call. Yeah. This is the first time since 1970s when we had Medic Faisal. The first time. Yeah, this <laughs> happens. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, you need to act fast. You need to act quickly. You can't just sit there and... And let them come to you and hope. Let them come to you and hope. It doesn't happen. MBS went to Turkey. What does that tell you? Exactly. What exactly. does that tell you? What's the message that that's telling you? Absolutely. And as you rightly said, you know, when I was doing restructuring of the committees before we joined the chamber, they had 28 committees. You go to the chamber, you have a problem, they create a committee, and the people just sit there absolutely doing nothing. So I started researching and... and the main country I looked at is the Chamber of Commerce of, of Singapore. They have five committees, literally five committees. They're very efficient. Exactly. So I went to the board and I recommended changing from 28 committees to 10 committees. They did not like that. They didn't like it, but they bought it. Okay. And we did change. And my strategy was that you have five core committees, which is basically technology, education, finance, and insurance, logistics, mm. um, uh, and uh, tourism. Mm. These are five main. And then you have the other sectors, which is real estate, which is industry, which is health, uh, which is um, commercial markets, which is every retail goes uh, under it. And all these five need these five. You, c you can do... Today, even industry can be tourism. You still need education for industry. You still need logistics for industry. You still need funding for industry. So all of these five should work with these five. And this is where how you bring the sectors together. 
So we created what is called the steering committee where we bring all these 10 leaders and we basically made a rule that no board member heads a committee mm. because we want the experts to head these committees. Uh, unless there's a board member which is way advanced than anybody external, then sure. it's an exception. So we brought them on board on this steering committee and it was a nightmare getting them to talk together. Office politics. What he or she can do individually. Office politics. Everyone wants a show, you know. Exactly. So what we did now is we've created a think tank group, which I left the steering and the committees. I gave it to Walid Kano. And I've, I've gone into the think tank. And what we've done is we've started with the strategy of the board and we're filtering it down to them and teaching them to work together. committee. We want them to work together outside. We work in boxes, not outside the boxes. We don't work together as Bahraini. We don't. That's the sad part. لو احنا نحط يدنا في بعض مثل السعوديز ومثل الاماراتيين ومثل القطريز we would be in a different ball game absolutely well you have a silo culture the same exactly. as sony had in the exactly. 1990s exactly but it's different تشوف الكويت شوف الكويتيين شلون طلعوا المنتج الكويتي where kuwaitis have reached kuwaitis started franchising where way after us but look at the progress that they've done it's because number one the government created the fund, the SME fund, that invests in SMEs. So imagine you have an SME in Kuwait. Mm. Who's your partner? A government, government fund. What confidence that does give anybody franchising your product? They didn't succeed in maybe 80% of their investment, but they succeeded in 20%, and that 20% compensated them for the all the 80% losses. My Jeff Bezos, by the way, said the exactly. same thing. He said, "If you have if you have a ten percent chance to make a hundred percent, a hundred times return, you always take the ten percent exactly. chance." Exactly. Temkin today is still in the process of giving fund grants. Why? If Temkin would invest in businesses and take strategic position to give confidence to anybody outside to join venture or to franchise or partner with. You will accelerate globalization of local companies much faster than the rate that you are doing today. Absolutely, but I think from a geopolitical standpoint, you also have an issue where you have huge, huge Western powers putting a lot of pressures to make sure that Western brands come in and foreign brands are almost held as a as a as a as a gutter. You know, there's there there's a reason why there's no UK brands that are doing very well in America. And they're, you know, but they're doing good here. <laughs> but they're doing good here, right? There's there's no British McDonald's, exactly. right? And I, I think that there is there's that to highlight. Trump did did some great work in trying to do unilateral deals, you know. Uh, Biden has returned a lot of those policies, and I, I think. I think Bahrain, in all its potential, even with Canu, by the way, Jamil, uh, the new CEO that just recently joined, who's in charge of cybersecurity. He was telling me just because of how the law base right now is with with privacy protection, because that's cybersecurity yeah. in their own business, saying because it's so underdeveloped and at the moment, and it's not been passed or enacted on, their main business focus is Saudi Arabia. Yeah. You know, and y y <laughs> exactly right. So they couldn't, they can't even use Bahrain as a testing ground, yeah. because the, simply the client's base is like, well, why do limited. I, why why do I need it? 
you know, there's the, if customers' information is being leaked or being stolen or being ransomed or being whatever, but there's no financial incentive to produce protection, yeah. then I don't need you as an enterprise, right? I don't need you on my balance sheet. You're just a cost. And so they started this business, and now they're looking in Saudi Arabia. Well, all of them, even the Bayanis and everybody, they're, they're looking to open up in Saudi Arabia because it's a bigger market. Well, the bigger market bigger is potential. Absolutely. I mean, that is his own animal. But the, the reason why he, he couldn't set up the fr franchise here is because of the legal basis, yeah. right? He said he would love to, to start small. This is the issue. And Our regulators need to perfect things. Uh, the legal system needs perfection. Regulation needs to be more efficient. Uh, otherwise, EDB has been doing what all these years? Okay, they've been successful in a few concepts, but also what have they given them to come? They've given them, you know, these companies are not adding value to Bahrain, not in, in uh, labor, job opportunities, even the money does not stay in Bahrain. Everything goes externally out, out. right. So what value are they adding? They're milking, but they're not adding value. When in fact, any FDI that comes should be investing in Bahrain properly efficiently, but you can't expect them to do that if your legal system is this messed up. Do, do you think there is another issue in the sense of, I have a lot of people who sit here in your chair, by the way, who are entrepreneurs, who run businesses just as much as yourself. And one of the key things I hear from them, which is different than what I've ever heard, I worked as a consultant in the US, I've worked in the consultants in the UK, Biggest difference I hear is that instead of profit maximization, which I hear in the West, here in the Middle East, I hear community. Mm. And they say they want to build a community, they want to you know, be part of a community. You have to balance between both. You, you can't do one without the other. I totally agree with you. Mm. But what I find interesting, and I think this is the reason for it, or, or originally I thought you know, from a very humanitarian response, I thought, oh, that's great, you know, they, we really care about you know, our fellow man, blah, blah, blah. And then it dawned on me that, that when, when I, dig deeper, they said, well, it's because I don't have a friend circle. Mm. It's because I don't have, you know, a, a, a larger family. And then I realized they just use that business as a means of, of creating a social network. A social network or a family. Yeah. The other, the other op option would be that you, you do that to sustain. That's the, that's the only uh, factor that what we did in our model is, is to sustain the brand name, the brand identity. Uh, if we had focused on maximizing profit with positioning that we have in Bahrain, it, it wouldn't work. work. It work. Well, you'd have to be a French brand, first of all, or Belgium, right? That's its own animal again. By the way, why don't you sell to, to coffee shops? Uh, we do. We do some. But again, um, it's been, you know, you know what has, has happened? We've been trying to do this since 2006, to sell to coffee shops, to sell to hotels, to sell to chocolate and flower shops. The moment we approach them, they look at us, competition. Competition is trying to take our business over. Okay. I, don't, I, I don't know why they would think that way. Even when I tell them, like, uh, you know, some of them are my friends. They have chocolate and flower shops. X, you know, come to me. Tell me what flavors you want. I will make them for you. You know? Uh -huh, okay, okay. When COVID started, they had a problem with logistics. They had Sonia and Mayam because they were forced into doing it. Mm. But now I'm also facing a competition that some people have come up doing it from home and yeah, 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 they're yeah, yeah, buying yeah. it from home. And that brand is a home brand without even a virtual PR, without yeah. Ministry of Health restrictions on them. And big names are buying it today and posting it and promoting it. Um, so 
it's, it's, it's this mentality that they have that if I work with another company locally, I will be divulging too much information and then that company will take my trade secret. Hello, what trade secret? I'm making the chocolate for you. You know, you're not making the chocolate for me. I'm making the chocolate for you. So you'll be getting my secrets and I'm willing, I, I'm, I'm putting an open book for you. But <sighs> it, it is that mentality that we have. Plus, the other problem that we have is they love copying and competing instead of partnering. But I mean, they're not going to be, I mean, this is from a businessman perspective now, I'm just thinking of business owner. It, it sounds almost idiotic to me. If I own a coffee shop, I don't want to be in the position of having to produce my own cakes and my own sweets. I, w I don't want to outsource. Yeah, outsource exactly. that nonsense. Uh, the same as with a the coffee. But they're outsourcing it to people who are doing it from home without even a CR. And how dangerous is that? But do you think it's from a cost perspective? It is from a, they're, they're priced the same as us. No, Mesquina, we need to help her. By the way, she has a morning job. But do you really think that's the case? There is there is that case also. And okay. Uh, it's more confidential. Okay. It's discreet, more discreet. And I, so I don't know. I don't know. And so don't you think if, if you would get just some salesperson in, right, and let's just sell it as we a do. white brand? We do. We do. We, do. we tell them. It's a white brand. But without the connection. <laughs> they know my team. <laughs> if, uh, okay. If, I, if, 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 if you go on Upwork or something like that, if you've ever, if you know what the website is. Yeah, I know. Yeah, to basically send somebody who's not affiliated with Maya and try to basically indirectly sell to them. Exactly. Uh, we could try this again. It's, it's a hassle. But, but this is the problem that we face. We're competing with housewives when it comes to cafes and restaurants. They'd rather buy it from somebody who makes it at home in a kitchen that's not industrially equipped, um, which where you don't know how they're making it, what machines they're using, what's the hygiene, uh, food and safety protocols so they're using, rather than work with a company that is established because they think they're working with a company. Even though competitive collaboration hmm. is the best solution for a country like Bahrain with the size that we are. You know, I would love if I work with my company. I, I went to Michelle, for hmm. example. I knocked on his door. I said, Michelle, let me make your chocolate. You know, I would love to make your chocolate instead of you opening a line to make chocolate. I think he looked at me and thought I'm a crazy woman. But, <laughs> 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 but you know, I've, I've been trying, Yanni. Not that I'm just, uh, I've been going personally. Um, the other issue is that how many, like Maya Delices that you saw, how many pastry shops have come up in the last three years? Ya jama'a. Okay, we have a, a tested, tried concept. Come partner with me and let's make this bigger and go even out of Bahrain. Instead of you copying me, design, colors, theme, exactly cut and paste, exactly. We brought Antonio Bashur to do our training and hi, Raha Yaba with celebrity. Exact copy, ya jama'a, why spend those hundred thousands dinars and start from zero when you have a tried and tested product, and by the way, I'm a firm believer, I, I don't mind even selling 90% of the company, because for me, getting 10% of a bigger company is much better for it's me. Better to own, it's better to own. It's better to own. 100% of a company that will go nowhere. Right, it's better to own 1% hey, of something than 100% of nothing. 90%, okay, you win, I win, my team wins, we make a bigger operation. No, I'm going to make a new brand, new name, and I'm going to make sure I'm better than them. Hadil culture, we have to change. Hadil mindset, 
But there's, there's there's another aspect of problems of business in Bahrain that I see, and and that's the the circling of the economy, you know, where where yeah, I mean, my son and will will buy products from your daughter, and your daughter will make sure to buy things from my son, yeah. and so that we can all the kids can then be yeah. proud, you know, yeah. and that it's its own huge issue, oh, big time, big especially time. in jewelry and stuff big like time. that. I see it all yeah, everywhere. I have friends who are close to me who can't buy from me because her sister-in-law owns. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I send to you, you eat it. You like it. <laughs> it's it's. Sorry, we are educated people. طالعين شايفين للعالم يعني enough يعني يعني we should come out of these cultures and these mindsets. Yeah, it's been two generations since we were Bedouins. Enough. يعني I. I post things of competition on my own personal feed. I mm. promote Lilu, I promote Cafe Ch- uh, La Chocolat, I promote La Labella, I promote... Lilo wants to sell though, right? Uh, Lilo wants to buy, actually. I thought that you wanted to sell the company. No, no, they're actually expanding, they're buying. Oh, I thought they were looking for an investor to, to get rid of the whole thing. No, no. Okay, sorry, your, your no, thing? No, not Lilo. Uh, f- um, I put competition, I promote competition because I'm proud of them. If they do something better on than me, why not? Why shouldn't I? Yani if you come to an event in my house, you will not see all Maya products. You will see other products of other places. I, I order from Lilo nonstop. I wouldn't say Lilo's competition. I'm not going to buy from Lilo. I love Lilo. Or start competing against I Lilo. I love <laughs> them. I honestly and love their ma- products. Yani why wouldn't I? And why wouldn't I proudly say that? But it's this culture that's needed and I, you just because you are related to that person doesn't mean you you cannot promote somebody else's products or somebody else's um, uh, success well uh, well we just had someone recently on again we'll have to cut this part too and we'll <laughs> pick and choose and yeah. we'll send to you and you can improve it whatever yeah, at least you can cut and uh, yeah. yeah no worries <laughs> I'll, we, we, we'll, I'll send it yeah. to you and you can you can tell me what you like so we had somebody on called Donna um, she owns a, a, a what was the business called Donna Donna Cafe, Donna something. Is she a food blogger as well? She's a food blogger as well. Lebanese? Yes, Lebanese. Okay, yeah, and I she, her, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She owns a dessert company now, mm-hmm. and she never wanted to own a dessert company. Mm-hmm. A sheikha came to her and said, we, wa- we want you to do a dessert company. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> that was her situation. And it, it reminded me exactly what you were saying about, about people who just want to own it in order to compete with it. Yeah. And that was exactly her situation. She said she 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 never wanted to do this, but yeah. she was obviously worried about her CV, uh, passport and all this kind of yeah. stuff. So she was like, "Fuck, well." <laughs> so now I have to do it. Well, she, I mean, she doesn't want to. That's the problem. So um, yeah. So now she's she she's looking, I think, to go to Saudi Arabia or something like that. I don't know. Fuck it up. So what what else does 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 S and J investment manage? Uh, at the moment, just Maya. Just uh, Maya. All our other companies are being lined up to go through bankruptcy. The real estate company Musawa. We exited with a partnership with Arab Tech um, in two thousand and eighteen. Sure. And it was a good exit for us. Sure. Um, so they took over the hum- company hundred percent in Bahrain. That was the same time they were doing the airport. Alhamdulillah. Um, so it was a good exit for yeah. us. It was a g- one of the good uh, investments we did. And um, we closed down the, you know, th- they basically bought into the company and took over the shares 
We have Musawa, which was the real estate holding company. We're, this is the one we, we put up for bankruptcy. And we've got an architecture and interior design company, which was an award-winning company as well. And uh, we're putting up that to bankruptcy as well because um, with the market situation and COVID, it disrupted a lot of things. And again, we are in a situation today that a lot of freelancers are doing architecture or interior design. The industry is uh, changing. Industry is changing, so uh, it's uh, very difficult to maintain. So we'd rather move these companies to bankruptcy, and then open a virtual company for um, the head architect that we have, um, that she can she can operate uh, and focus more on interior design, uh, which today has a bigger potential than architecture because also real estate development is in a different position today. Well, I heard an urban rumor, and I don't know if it's true or not, that, that there's three times as many apartments or space as their population. Yes. So my, my thought always of why, in why it's being constructed is simply as FDI. Yes. Okay, so we both agreed to, to, to that statement, that's great. Mm -hmm. So I don't see what the future of that is. I mean, unless exactly. you're, 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 you're hoping that the population is gonna grow three times the size, which if we don't change a lot of things in the country, it will not. It will Let's not. Let's be honest with but you. But I mean, the infrastructure couldn't handle. Can you imagine the roads? No, it can't. Yani, it, 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 do you yeah. know the main road to, to Adlia? You need a strategic planner to plan everything together exactly. And you have uh, licenses giving to build, while mm. tourism has no idea what they're up against and what numbers of people they need to That's bring. That's that German guy, right? Okay. Uh, uh, Kyle. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. While uh, he's a character, and now you have a minister of tourism, and uh, at the same time, a municipality uh, is not aware of what exactly is being developed. LSS to have the infrastructure in place, and this is where you have different entities not talking to each other, uh, and and this is where the problem happens. And you've got real estate running because uh, this is the best thing people can put their money in and secure to them, that's what they think, is at the end of the day, I can tap on it. I remember one of my investors in UAE, in a big name, big family name I used to go to back when I was in BBK, and I had a commodity fund for him that I was uh, promoting to him, and he said, Sonia, if I cannot do this on the investment, I'm not gonna put my money into it. Oh, that's very old school. Yeah, but that's how, that's unfortunately, people still think that way. At the end of the day, they say, even if it's not rented, I can still sell it, but you're, you're losing opportunity here, you know? You, there's inflation, the value of your money is not the same. I mean that, and there's that's also non-tangible goods exactly. as well, right? Exactly. I mean, I, I've never really understood commodities because I've always been a, an investor who believes in value rather than growth, uh, a Warren Buffett type, right? <laughs> Uh, for the long term, the 90s and early 2000s, people were very, very like growth heavy. Yeah. And I think now, especially now, we're seeing the tech bubble kind of bursting. Uh, I think Amazon is trading, what, like 20% uh, EBITDA, mm -hmm. right? Or tw 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 a factor of 20x EBITDA. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's ridiculous, all those kind of industries. I mean, uh, you've got... But you have to have a balance of everything. You no, know? absolutely. When, when we basically did Maya, and Maya is a commodity at mm. the end of the day because cocoa beans are commodities, they're traded. And, and this is how we looked at it, it that we have the, um, the real estate, which was high growth at that time, and we have the commodity, which would balance. And, and when it collapsed in 2008 and commodities went up, it, it literally balanced our losses in a, in a beautiful way, uh, which, which protected the group entirely. 
and 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 this is where you need to have a balance of in, in investments in everything uh, even if you're focused on a specific classification of investment the actual structure should be balanced enough to protect you and not just always focus on one sector let me ask you since you have some experience in real estate i've always had this issue mm. i've Every time somebody came up to me and said, hey, you know what, buy this building, buy this plot, buy this land, buy this, buy this, buy this. I always look at them and I'm th I think to myself, well, I could do that or I could buy an index fund, which gives me an alpha of 11 or 12 percent. Mm. And I don't have to worry mm. because if the index fund goes down, especially like the, uh, the, uh, the, the S&P 500 or uh, Wall Street, uh, the whole world. Uh, down J, sorry. The whole world is in trouble, right? That I'm not really worried <laughs> about my personal finances. So I've always, I never understood that sales tactic. I never really understood yeah, it. Yeah, you have to have a balance of both because at the end of the day, even if the market collapses, sure. uh, you, you know, real estate is income, it's supposed to be. Sure, cash flow. income generating. Now, the only issue is that today the average rate of income that's coming from real estate has dropped considerably. Before sure. it was, it reached the stage of hype of 25%. Now it's down to 4 to 5%. But also 4, 4 to 5% is better than putting it in fixed deposit because fixed deposit today is not giving you 4 to 5%. Sure, but that's not an and argument though, is it? But, but this is the issue. So when you put it into uh, fixed deposit, uh, you know, um, it's it's basically it's not earning money for you. But if you put it into property and you earn four percent in, in as income on rental, at least it's better than getting one percent or one point five percent. Sure, sure. First of all, it's not four percent though because you're not including inflation. Because when you do that, then yeah. it's you're really no, talking no, with about inflation four percent. Because without inflation, you're talking about six to seven percent. Okay, so let's say four yeah. percent with with inflation. My my counter argument to that would be you can still buy a triple A bond. Right. You're also taking very high risk. And a triple and A bond? Buy a triple A bond. You still did you ever think Lehman Brothers would go under? Yeah, but how many Lehman Brothers went under and how many people but went? Still, but why would you just go hundred percent put it in that? Put forty percent in a high risk bond in our investments and put another thirty percent in something else and another twenty percent is cash. Well the, that's the how you do it. The the way I've I've structured my mm -hmm. personal finances, mm -hmm. I've I've put about sixty percent in index funds mm -hmm. and I put about 30% in uh, high yield uh, or junk bonds. Mm. And the final 10%, I bought solid materials, gold. <laughs> right? And so I've, I've, I've spread my, 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 my cash flow, uh, my, my assets a little bit. Mm. And the, the, my, my problem with, with real estate is that I think it has, it has intrinsic value. Right, it, real estate is very easy that you can go to a bank and say, "Hey, you know what? Uh, I have this asset." Yeah, you right? can use it as a collateral. Exactly, and and you can also use your bonds. You can also use your you shares use also your as collateral, sure. right? But banks usually prefer <laughs> that. And that's my 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 always my worry. What do you think about the younger generation who are now crazy about options? The younger generation have a completely different mindset. They're definitely not into real estate. That's what I'm noticing. Definitely not. By the way, have you looked? Have you seen what BlackRock is doing? No. They're buying up loads of real estate right now, and that's why sh prices <laughs> are shooting up in America. And it's genius. So they're yeah. buying it up for their clients, mm -hmm. because the the main driver now of is the time to buy. <laughs> right. So 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 properties that used to be valued at like like three hundred thousand are now being traded at almost four hundred fifty thousand, mm -hmm. 
And the reason was, this is the BlackRock, this is what the guy who works there told me. they went in and bought heavy. They not just bought heavy, but they bought it for their clients. Because the main denominator, uh, the main factor of what, what changes income is actually rent. 60% of, of, of your salary goes to rent in America. So by securing that asset for their, for their businesses, they can then tie salary. That's wise. Jesus, That's isn't it? Wise. Yeah. That's wise. That is so clever. That's good. Yeah, for countries where rent is high, it would be better to own. Exactly. So, so, so BlackRock is making sure to buy up as much property as they can for their for their business for, uh, the for their business partners and clients. That's good. Yeah. And they're making money out of it as well. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Oh this boy. This is what the United Bank also does. They basically went into property specifically for their client base, mm. their high net worth individuals, and they did major deals. They made major profits returns. Uh, AUB because of the projects that they did and they just basically sold it to their client base. They didn't even have to go talk to anybody outside. <laughs> it was pre-sold before it was even launched. What do you think about the whole crypto thing? Uh -huh, I don't believe in it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> me and you are on the same page on this. Everybody's trying to tell me, Sony, open an account, trade us. I don't believe in it. I don't believe in it either. I don't know. I think it's a hype and uh, it's going to be a big blow and a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. And uh, Family office, um, um, Abdel Musnin. Abdel Musnin? Yes, yes. He, he was telling me that, that they're looking into building the first trading platform in Bahrain for cryptocurrency, for cryptocurrency. and he's, he thinks that and I, th I think I'm with him on this he thinks that the younger generation is just so hype they are hyped every young person you talk to exactly put money into uh, somewhere absolutely and I think he, he, he says personally he doesn't he owns like a little bit of some things just in order to tell people yeah. I own a little bit but I think he sees that the money generation will be coming from the transfer fees uh, it, it definitely but it's scaling me mm. it's scaring me um, the other day, one of the moms was telling me uh, a few months back uh, before the drop that her son just sold and he bought a Tesla with the money um, that he made out of cryptocurrencies. And um, and then you see what's happening. And Yeah, but they're only going to tell you the positive stuff, exactly. right? That the mom isn't going to be like, my son lost like 50,000 BD. Exactly. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, I'm not so sure. I, I no matter how many times I've read and I'm, I said to people to explain to me, I'm not getting it for some reason. I think with, with Maya, you should either do a crypto thing, a blockchain thing, or an NFT just because <laughs> it attracts investors. <laughs> I agree. NFT maybe or blockchain. Something like blockchain, that. Blockchain, yeah. Th there was very famously an IT company that added the name blockchain into its name and their value increased mm -hmm. by 30%. They have nothing to do with blockchain, <laughs> but just the marketing of it. It's how you position it. Exactly. And I, I, I think that Maya, if they do maybe, uh, it, w it could be a really interesting idea if, if you do like a seasonal chocolate and, they c and the purchaser who's buying it gets that NFT. That could be a really interesting thing. NFTs are working now. I ha just had someone on recently. He, was, he, was, he works with a lot of businesses, giving them advice on how to introduce NFTs into their like music events and stuff like that. And his argument was to a lot of his clients, you create an NFT that, that for example, gives you like one year worth of free goods or chocolate, right? You put a bid, you put your minimum price of whatever that cost is, and then you, l you allow that to trade. Interesting. And it, he, you, you create then this extra marketing to a whole new reach. But you also have to have the logistics to transport and ship to them. 
Yes, but his uh, his idea was with the music concert that he's working now with, that you buy that yearly ticket thing as an NFT. So you have that ticket for every concert that you want to go to. Exactly. Uh, that makes sense. Th this is the issue. When it comes to Maya, because uh, the perishability of the product and because the fact that you don't have the logistics infrastructure from Bahrain, this basically, it puts you in a crippled position. True, that true, That you true, cannot true. be creative enough to add such bells and whistles to it to absolutely. upscale it. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I totally hear where you're coming from, but I, I, I think if you if you just introduce that NFT project as, as for your local thing. shop yeah. and say, like, they can then get, like, whatever, like a milkshake, whatever, every day, and they just have to have that NFT, and then you make a bidding war, and then anyone could bid on it, could buy it, and then it could be traded, and then that's its own thing. Uh, and have half an hour come free consultation some with me. Something <laughs> like that. Something <laughs> like that. I don't know. I, I just think it's. I think it's. It's. I think these kind of things are super interesting. I don't know what Web 3.0 is going to look like. Yeah. I don't know how the whole cyber space is going to look like. That's yeah. its own kind of animal. Uh, uh, expect the unexpected. I guess so. Absolutely. Are you going to Are you going to do any VR or AR with the products? We would love to because automating the production is definitely something we want to look at in the future and that's part of the expansion that we have. Sure. Um, we do artisanal products but still there is certain elements that can be automated using uh, IR and uh, it will reduce the time of work that so that it's not taking over um, the job of the the employee artisan. or the artisan, but giving the artisan more free time to be more creative with the flavors and with the experimenting of the shelf lives and these sort of issues. Today, they are more into production, which basically gives them a, you know, delays the creativity part of it. If you automate certain parts, then you will leave them to be creative. And when it comes to artisanal products, you need to give them that space to be creative. You can't expect them to be creative when you have a production of hundreds of kgs that every day they have to make and they have to monitor the efficiency, monitor the quality, check each piece. If you have 300 kgs of chocolate made for a customer, each piece has to be quality assured and checked because it's an artisanal product. There are deficiencies, so there, there are a lot of products that you have to remove in the from the production. When you have artificial intelligence involved and you automate a lot of this, then you give more room for that creativity part. And I would love to do that. I was even talking to the smart kid a few, a year back. Um, he's a doctor, he's a medical doctor, but he's into artificial intelligence and has created the smart system for homes and robotics and everything. And I told him, I said, listen, if there is a way you can create that robot, which would be a barista, or that robot which would actually make the chocolate mix or certain elements, you know, automate certain elements, that would be fantastic. You can buy them. They cost about $10,000, and you can show them, like, how to break an egg. Yeah, and, it and, will and do it. <laughs> and it will do it. It will, it will break eggs until it dies. So completely break against Exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, these, these products do yeah. exist. Um, Google just, Google Engineer just announced. Dan, do you mind looking it up? Uh, the Google artificial engineer, the artificial intelligence from Google, who supposedly this uh, this AI go on the news. On the news. Yeah, here, uh, Google AI claims to be sentient. 
So they're supposed to. So supposedly, this one engineer, whis a whistleblower, a leaker, mm -hmm. came out and he claims that <coughs> that Google has created the first sentient AI that can think and feel. Yeah, I read this. I yeah. Read this, yeah. And and this AI now hired a lawyer. Yeah. Prove his existence. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So the future is happening. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? He, he, he uh, Google put him on leave, uh, obviously for breaking his uh, NDA. Yeah. Yeah, but he 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 swears by it. He's put his whole career on risk. Imagine, but yeah, that, that I, I can see that future. Mm. I can see that future where you li literally put your employees to focus on the creativity part and everything, and have and and use artificial intelligence to automate a lot of work, even artisanal work. I think if if you can, I think you can just do it with your phone. Actually, with the new iPhone, if you do a L, an, an I think it's called an Eldar scan, a, a light readable scan of your cake, you can create that as a three as a three D item and then send it to people on WhatsApp, mm -hmm. and they can actually see in front of their hand how the cake would look like. Mm. I think I mean that's a low issue cost and an easy implementation. Things are done. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how. how yeah. We we do that. We do have. Um, I don't know what system my team uses, but we do. For example, wedding cakes. We do create an image of a virtual image Major of how the cake that you envisage it to be, um, which will actually give you the the size and and the positioning of the flowers and the colors, and then you can play with it and tell us no, change this and do that. We do that. Uh, do you see any kind of demand for that? Um, we had before when we used to make a lot of wedding cakes and sure. corporate and, and, and events, events. Uh, wedding events. But again, with COVID, it's, it's all disappeared. Huh? But it's too expensive to do that for a one kg cake that you're charging 18 or 20 dinars uh, per kg. Okay, okay. Yeah, and how many kg is usually like a cake? One kg is uh, it starts from 18. Okay, okay. Uh, dinars. Okay. Then it's too much time constraint. Absolutely. Yeah, and and we do have some customers that want to see it in different colors and I'm sorry that's a one kg cake you know you want to do a, a five tier cake or a four tier cake that's 30 kgs in total it's worth doing it and we don't even charge extra to do that but uh, but we've we done just it. built we into the yeah, price we, we did we did it we did actually visuals for them many and many of them were Saudi customers that actually got the cake from us doesn't this suck doesn't this suck <laughs> that you can implement so many great ideas but just because the market isn't willing to bear them no isn't that, yeah, doesn't that suck? True. Local customers, they won't be able to bear them. But external customers, when they came to us, we did ma many cakes for Saudi customers for their weddings. And we delivered it to them in our cards. It was a one-stop thing that, um, and they arranged the access and everything for us, which was easy. But on a daily basis, it's difficult for you to do it. I uh, totally agree. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's again. Which we is sad, because between Bahrain and Saudi, we should not have that restrictions of delivering retail products. How long did it take for visa-free travel now? 60 years, something yeah, like that? Exactly. S 60, 70 years? Exactly. And now finally they're implementing it. My daughter got engaged a um, month back, less than a month back. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. And her friends who were studying with her in Berkeley wanted to come to Bahrain. And some of them are living in Dubai and they have 10 years residency, some of them in Saudi. And I had to issue a visa for them to come into Bahrain. 
which was ridiculous. If she's living in Dubai and she has a 10-year residency, she doesn't need to have a visa to come into Bahrain. And I'm glad, yani, okay, I managed to do it, but not everybody can do that. And it was, they had fun. My daughter had fun seeing them. You know, it was so nice. They were all here with us. But that shouldn't be the case. If somebody lives in Dubai or Saudi and has a 10-year or 5-year or 1-year residency, they should be easily given access to come. And the airport, you should easily um, process everything, regardless of where they were born. Uh, if, if UAE has done their investigation on them and given them that residency, that means they're qualified. Mm, that should be some standard exactly. to that, right? Are you debating that UAE did not do a good job? <laughs> I agree. I agree. I agree. But that's the problem with bureaucracy, though, yeah. I think, right? That would be displacement of jobs. Again, FDIs. Yeah. If you have this visa problem, how can you encourage FDIs? Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. And they love Bahrain, by the way, and they, they've been living in Dubai since they were born. This is the first time they come, and they fell in love with the country. What, why do you think that so many expats come to Bahrain and they just live here permanently? They uh, just I love it. I think the simplicity of Bahrain culture friendly, as you rightly said. I think privacy. Privacy as well. I, I think, you know, when you're talking about FDIs or tourism, tourism in fact, tourism doesn't always necessarily need to be even youth and concerts and, and retirement tourism. You know, people exactly. Turkey, South exactly, Africa. There are people who've come here and worked here and they don't want to leave. What does that tell you? What does, they were uh, CEOs of big banks. Today, they're still living in Bahrain. JC, a perfect example. Exactly. Um, uh, Sanjeev, who was UDB, he's retired in Bahrain with his wife. He, he came from Singapore. Mm. He doesn't want to leave. He loves the country. He loves the people. He loves the friends he's made here. Um, that tells you something. You know, Ministry of Tourism, you don't have to be focusing on youth tourism always and, you know, visits. You can literally bring retirees to live here. But again, what do you have for them? How many apartments you said are empty? With three times as many apartments as exactly. their population. Can't these be bought by retired people to live in? I agree. I agree. I, and what do you, are you worried at all from the aspect of, of Saudis becoming, Saudi Arabia becoming more and more open? On in the, the sense, on the, on the sense of, of, of it taking away business from Bahrain. No, on the contrary. I think Saudi complements Bahrain if we play it right. I think if you play it right, totally. But my concern is, I mean, I'm from Saudi. My concern is is that when Saudi now opens cinemas, that killed a lot of cinemas in Bahrain. Yeah. Saudis eventually, in my opinion, alcohol is just a question of when. Exactly. And and they're gonna they're gonna either do it a system where they say Westerners in certain hotels, or they're gonna do play it like UAE, where they said only Dubai, and they're gonna choose a small town and say only that town. It's gonna somehow it's happen. It's gonna happen. We. It's sad that people didn't think it will happen. In New Year last year, there was there was a rest there was a there was a hotel that was already serving alcohol in, in Riyadh, uh, under the table obviously. I, I'm 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 not surprised. But I'm it was a hotel, surprised. and they were happy to I'm offer it. I'm not surprised, and this is the sad part that in here in Bahrain, where we were telling people, you need to have alternative strategies and not rely 99.9 percent on actually 150 percent on yeah. Saudi. Yeah. They weren't understanding it. We were seeing this to happen. We always believe there will come a day where there will be a separation between Mecca and Medina mm -hmm. and, and the other states in Saudi and Absolutely. everything will be open. This was expected any time. It was really sad that people here were not 
visioning that part and relying constantly on Saudi. Nevertheless, I still believe there's opportunities well, for I, us. I'm sure your parents, uh, if you don't mind me saying this, m must have seen how Saudi was before the, before the 70s. Right, and it was a, v a very different. I mean, Iran as well. Before the seventies, was <laughs> a very exactly. different country. A different co I used to go uh, Iran when I was uh, until I was eleven years old when the revolution happened. Oh, you're not that old. Uh, I'm fifty-five years old. No, <laughs> no, you don't look it at all. <laughs> I don't believe that. I'm gonna be fifty-five on Friday. <laughs> oh, well, congr congratulations <laughs> on Friday then. My, my grandparents, Iran was London to them, and every summer we used to go there three months, and we used to go to these amazing restaurants, and there was live music, dancing, you know, we had fun, and when the revolution happened, they shifted to London. Yeah. And, and that was their comparison, imagine, and uh, that's where Iran was, that's how it looked, and that's how it felt, and the weather was beautiful, and it was, it was a beautiful place to go. Now, I haven't been. Since I was 11, I haven't been to Iran. And I don't think I... I, I it it I might not even be, be in... It might not be the same. Uh, it might I not be in your lifetime exactly. that it'll return, or maybe in your daughter's exactly. lifetime. But again, you know, I still see there's a big opportunity for us with Saudi opening up. Why? Because Saudi is now bringing traffic. And when you are... Let's take it as an example. When you travel to Europe, you don't go from different sure, 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 sure. countries, sure. you go to Italy, and then from Italy you take the train, you go to Paris, you basically, I was, I was, in, I was in Genève for uh, two weeks mm. for a conference, we finish at six o'clock, we take the car and we go to Divonne, or we go to uh, um, um, Monterey, or we go to other places. So there is always an opportunity, totally there is agree. always an opportunity. But we need to also position Bahrain in a, in a way that easy access, visas entry from the causeway. We need to have the infrastructure, transportation infrastructure ready to bring people. We need to have the entertainment for them, for them to come and s be encouraged to come and spend a night here or two nights in Bahrain. If you play it right, it's going to work. Because I think the three p businesses that were crying the most uh, during COVID, so one was the, the shisha places. Mm -hmm. They were in disaster. Then it was uh, the laundromats yeah. services, and finally these two, three-day apartments yes. rentals. Yeah. All three were were three-star hotels, basically. Anything like that. That was completely almost dead. But even five-star hotels. Five-star hotels were also dead. You know, they started then capitalizing on using the rooms for COVID cases. That's where they recovered a bit. Um, and. Uh, the quarantine period when Saudi had a quarantine period for, for two years almost for, yeah, yeah that really experts, the quarantine was happening in Bahrain so that helped a bit of, of the hotel industry uh, I'm still a firm believer Saudi opening up is a big opportunity for us Bef before we go to Saudi I just want to tell you a story I was I was in in the Ritz you know they have that um, the cigar lounge bar yeah, yeah. Uh, just as I think the, f the, the one or two days before Bahrain locked down everything, I remember going there uh, to have a burger and a drink, and the whole place was empty. It was nobody. It was just me, and just the musician was playing the keyboard and the singer. And I have never felt more awkward in my entire life, because every time she finished a song, she would look at me. <laughs> Are you still there? <laughs> if, if, does he like it? And then I, I just would have had my burger in my mouth, and I would be like, 
I have never eaten faster in my entire life to get out of that situation. I was like, oh, yeah, great music, great sound. And I quickly went back home. Uh, but I, I, I mean, I, I love how positive you are. I think but opening up Saudi Arabia does have potential. Big potential. Have potential for businesses operating in Saudi. I'm worried about the tourism industry from Saudis coming to Bahrain. I think the younger generation, the older generation, you know, people are who, who are like me in their 30s and 40s will, will, will still come to Bahrain because of, you know, history and, and family. But I'm worried about the younger generation, you know, who are 18, 19. We have a, we have a problem there. there. And if Bahrain does not change. That's my concern, right? And I, I think, I mean, I don't even know if the younger generation will even want to stay in the Gulf. But they that, might. That's another issue. But but let me tell you something. I, I, I never thought the day would come where my daughters will plan a trip to Saudi. True. And today they do. True, true, today true. Today they do. True. They literally do. They drive, they go there, and they love going sightseeing at the museum and, uh, and go and have salt burger and everything. So things do change, but also you have to have the attraction. I agree. You know, if you and today we have a minister of tourism, and I'm I'm putting my hopes up on her being a woman, being young herself. She's she's in her, I think, thirties. Mm. Um, she should have a different perspective, better than me. You know, and, and my age. So I'm hoping she would position Bahrain in a way that okay, we're not going to get hundred percent of what we got before. We should have diversification. We should not rely only on Saudi, but. The idea should be not just on the Saudis to come, but even the expats who now visit Saudi should consider stopping over Bahrain. I agree. But because you have a causeway. I agree. And you have a train that will be coming up in a few years as well. I agree. So there is an opportunity that we need to capitalize on and, and, and focus on. And today, we still have a lot of people who work in Saudi but have their families here. I agree, I agree. And, and that's again another opportunity because we have amazing school system here. And this is why they have their families here to be in the local schools. So this is where Ministry of Tourism has to focus on education tourism. Absolutely. Health tourism. Absolutely. Industrial tourism. Tourism is not just about, again, the young children. Young children or can concerts be or whatever. Exactly. Young children can look at Bahrain as an education hub for them because it's, it's safe for the parents to see their kids live here and study here and weekends go back home. And, totally and, agree. Uh, and train here and develop here. So you need to redirect the positioning of tourism when you're targeting the population in Saudi, be it the locals or the expats. I totally agree. The, the vision I could see, wh what you're describing, is that if you have a very safe, very high-level education system in, in Bahrain, you bring people in maybe from Oxford or Cambridge, literature's in, right? Pay them good money, make sure they, they set up that school, bring some recognition, some marketing, good name, and then you, you, can, you can compensate that marketing of that nightlife in maybe Dubai. Yes. Right? And it's exactly. only one hour flight, it's yeah. 100 BD. You can do a full package, by the way. Exactly. And, and you can, you can like do a little bit like that, right? And, and you, can, you can market it that way. And with Saudi, you can market it maybe history or, or maybe finance and working. My biggest, my biggest arguments I have with people over Riyadh and, and Dubai is I always say this. If you're a consultant, where do you want to live? Right? Do you want to live next to the beach? Or do you want to live in a desert? Exactly. Right? And, 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 and Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, the big four, they might have their headquarters in Saudi Arabia, 
But they might be working from here. But they might be working exactly. from here or from there. You can still do that. Exactly. Because I, I just I don't see yeah. I don't see how you can convince a consultant to spend seven days a week in Saudi Arabia, regardless of how many nightlife activities you might have, they will still want to see the water. Let me you, you just mentioned sure. um, uh, and I'm gonna go back to my daughter's engagement. Yeah, absolutely. She got COVID the day before her engagement, oh so no. we had to delay her okay. party by a week. Now, one of her friends who was coming from Egypt was already on the plane when she found out she had COVID, so she came. Okay. So now she's quarantined. She can't even see her friend, and I was afraid to bring her home because I, yeah, I didn't yeah. want to, uh, you know, um, her to get exposed. So I told her, Mariam, I'm going to come and pick you up. The, it was like the, um, on the Friday, which was supposed to be the event day, and I'm going to take you out. And I went and picked her up. Was she very depressed? Um, the w your, 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 your daughter? My because daughter, I'm, I'm breakdown, nervous breakdown. Really? Imagine she's, you know, like less than 24 hours. We had to cancel everything. Oh, no. But I went and picked her up, and I took her to Nasif to have breakfast. Mm. She, for the first time, she's trying egg with tomato. For the first time, she's trying our bilali. For the first time, she's trying our mayo. <laughs> egg and tomato? Yeah. How old is your daughter? <laughs> what do you mean she's the first time trying Not it? Not my daughter, her friend. Oh, her friend. Okay, okay, Egypt. okay. I was about to say, yeah, what have you been no, feeding no, no. your daughter? Her, her friend who came from Egypt. Okay, okay. And I'm sitting with, uh, with her in Nasif. She sees the sea. She loved the breakfast. We stayed there for four hours because she loved the food so much. We're walking, and I said, okay, you know what? I'll take you to uh, Bahrain Fort, yeah, to Green Bar, and we'll have coffee there. On our way, this guy comes, and he goes, do you want a boat ride? Oh, you have boat rides? And I was even, for me, I, I didn't know. He goes, yeah, if you want a joint one, there's this much. If you want a private one, there's this much. I said, okay, Mariam, you want a boat ride? He said, yes, I'm in Bahrain. So okay, let's take a private one. So he takes us for 20 minutes. He brings us right here next to Reef Islands and everywhere and takes us back to Nasif. It was amazing. She loved it. She loved it. And it was like 12 o'clock noon time, which was really hot, but it was so nice. We finished. We went. I took her to Bahrain Fort, and I took her all around, and I started explaining things. And she realized how Bahrain rich, culturally is rich, which she never knew about this. And she was so impressed. And then we sat in Green Bar Inc., which is the cafe there, and we had coffee, and she loved it. And then my, my son-in-law came and picked her up and took her out to other places. She loved it. Beautiful. First time she came here, and she loved it. And she's 25 years old. You know, she's young. And, you know, and I didn't take her to concerts or this, but I took her day trips, and she stayed for two days and then left, and she was crying leaving. She can't wait to come back and bring her mom back with her because she had so much fun. If you package it properly and you do tour packages where you come to Saudi and then in the same package two nights in Bahrain and to Dubai, it will work well for all. Absolutely. Show them the tree of life. Exactly. Show them the industrial area. <laughs> you can. You can still make it work. Absolutely. You can still make it work. No, I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think I think for, for the tourism industry, it definitely has a lot of potential, especially with, 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 with foreigners. I think with maybe more conservative travelers, yes. I think you have a real People opportunity. Who want culture, who want the exactly. friendly aspect, exactly. capitalize on it. Don't exactly. make it friendly business. Make exactly. it friendly personal. Exactly. Where people would come and enjoy and have fun and relax and you know, and, and have that sense of culture. And we do have that richness in culture. And the beauty is when you go around, you see locals. 
You know, when I went to Bahrain Fort, there was a local guy sitting there at the reception on a Friday and, and you know, giving us the ticket to go in and everything. It makes a difference when people see locals everywhere. It makes that that difference, that connection. I totally agree. I think I think with with what's 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 occurring right now that I'm seeing with with um, tourism, both in Saudi they're preparing, they're bringing back a lot of uh, 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 natural habitat, animal life, and UAE as well, and UAE has already started selling hunting tickets. Mm -hmm. They know that's a boom because it's disappearing from Africa, yeah. and that's going to come right now to UAE. I, kn I know that at least like four gun shops has opened. Oh. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> who are introducing like like yeah. live hunting, and the yeah, same thing is going to happen. Yeah. Games. The same thing is going to happen yeah. in in Saudi, and maybe also in Bahrain. I don't know if that market would exist. I mean, I don't know if there's enough open land where you can support something like that. See, one of the things UAE did when we had Formula One before Abu Dhabi started was mm. they were packaging visits to Bahrain Formula One while they were staying in. Exactly. Dubai. Exactly. Why can't we do the same? What, what don't you think that don't you th on that same subject? I know a lot of CEOs who who have companies in Bahrain but live in Dubai. I think that needs to be rectified. I don't think that's that's okay. I don't think you you can't have a residency in yeah. Dubai and operate from Dubai. Exactly. But your your business is here in Bahrain. Your business is here, and you have an address of the business. Here. Yeah. No, it's it's. I think Saudi had that same problem, though. <laughs> but, but as being as GCC, I think we need to open up more. We need to open up the logistics more. We need to open up the borders more to each other to complement each other. We shouldn't be afraid of each other. No, I agree. You know, I, I, when, I, when I said competitive collaboration in businesses, it goes is the same for countries as well. Each country, each of of us as GCC, we have our own edges, our own beauties. If we work together as one continent, mm. we can create an amazing location uh, for every person there's to come from all over the world. There's no reason why why GCC can't be like Europe. Exactly. Right. And, uh, and why one do currency? we have to also focus only for people to come from specific part of the world? Why aren't we focusing on the other part of the world for them to come and visit this part of the world? But if I'm not mistaken, both the Saudi Riyal, the Bahraini Dinar, and the UAE uh, currency are all tied to the dollar anyways. The so only difference is um, Kuwait. Kuwait. There's a basket of currencies. Yeah, so at, at that point, you might as well just have one local currency. Exactly. Uh, I mean exactly. You but again, you have a lot of potential uh, people in Africa that you can target in Asia that you can target to come and visit this part of the world. Labor's already moving from, from India to Africa. Exactly, here in Bahrain. exactly. I, I was in Cote d'Ivoire. I was seeing what was happening, the potential that these countries have, but also I could see the potential of FDIs that we can even bring here. Have you ever traveled a lot in Africa, by the way? No, no, I haven't. This was, uh, I've been to Egypt, mm -hmm. but uh, this oh, That's not Africa. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, Cote d'Ivoire was the first time I go, and I was blown away. I mean, I've I been I've been to South Africa and Namibia, and the thing that really, really, really shocked me was, you know, seventy or eighty percent of the population doesn't have running water, electricity. Mm. That's its own animal. But when you go to the ports, the mind, it is better than what you More see in Europe. More sophisticated, I know. And it's because of all the Chinese money, and yes. they own those properties. Yeah. And it really shocked me because you have towns in Namibia where the signs are in Cantonese, mm. and they don't even allow black people in the shops. It's just Chinese workers, mm. 
And it, it really, really, it just blew me away. It just blew me away. I never thought that I would see like a, a Porsche Jeep in Namibia, of all places. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was on the flight um, to Cote d'Ivoire and next to me sitting was this amazing, amazing award-winning architect that has done mansions in Cote d'Ivoire that we don't have here in Bahrain. He showed me the pictures, I was blown away. He goes, I said, you, you seriously did, did these projects? He said, yeah, and, and he was going for the CEO for Africa CEO Forum. And he goes, I've done one project in Saudi only, nowhere else in the Gulf, only in Saudi one, but I've been here for the last 10 years and I'm doing projects for them. When he showed me the architecture, it blew me away. The design and how modern and how beautiful it was and the landscaping and everything, I'm like, <laughs> where are we? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> I think there, there's, there is going to be. I, I think the way it's heading right now, we're gonna see, we're gonna see maybe Dubai still be the tourist hub, Abu Dhabi and the rest of the areas will do their own th things. Saudi Arabia with Riyadh is always gonna be business centered. Uh, you'll always have Mecca. That's always Medina. That's that's always gonna be stable the for Vatican. tourism. Yeah, always it's Vatican. Vatican. It's yeah. al it's always gonna be that. Yeah. I think Bahrain. What it's heading right now is medical industry. Education and medical. Yeah, I, and right next to the the right at the bottom of the island, I forgot what that new island is called, uh, the the Palm Beach, Palm something, at the very bottom of Bahrain, they've they've made the Dura? this the Dura maybe Dura. they built a hospital they're building a hospital right now uh, near there King Abdullah Medical City exactly, <laughs> and that's a tie with Saudi Arabia I yes, believe they're funding the whole project it's yeah uh, it's going to be a full fledged medical city where it will have universities and hospitals as well it's already occurring uh, exactly and and this will add value to the real estate going on there like dora which uh, which is uh, which is amazing by the way because there's nothing exactly and now they're doing phase i think five or six because that uh, project is coming up so there is opportunities for them there. absolutely there's 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 one military base around there yes, the air force the air force the and air force. I, I always thought that those buildings yeah. were for the for the for the military personnel yeah. and then i was correct and i was like mm -hmm. What? No? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the point, mm -hmm. I believe, when you said that, that retirement tourism, I think with that medical industry, yes. right? You, you, have a little, you have a little historical science, yeah. on the w and then you have old businesses still, you know, who might need a consultant yes. or maybe somebody with some yeah, experience. Family businesses. Family if you businesses. want to retain family businesses, you still need the expertise to come in and support you as well. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And especially if you could find some training schools for family businesses, there's a lot of them that are running. Yeah. This is, this is one of the uh, drawbacks or, or, or opportunities, I would say, is we don't have the, the proper infrastructure for vocational training. And if we tie this up with what the private sector needs and create these schools, this is going to be a major opportunity, not just for Bahrain, but to service the entire region. Uh, culinary, as an example, we're so heavy into the F&B, and we don't have a culinary school. We have the Vatel uh, Management, Hotel Management um, mm. School, but we don't have a culinary school where you would actually graduate chefs and of, of different levels, not just senior chefs, and waiters and baristas and, and all these. If you want to also perfect your service level to attract tourism, you need to put standards. Again, we go back to regula regulation. Education and regulation. In UAE, a waiter and barista has to go through a training program and exam, and if they fail three times, they're out of the country. Yeah. They're not licensed to work. 
That means they don't fit with the standards that they have. Quality, standards, this is what the government has to look at. The government starts to be more of a regulator and impose quality assurance uh, standards to, to bring up the country to the level where it would be an attraction instead of competing with the private sector. They shouldn't, you know, th this is what their focus should be. Do you, do you think that the only thing that I can imagine that would really bring in a lot of money in the short term, but it would, it would, it would create a lot of waves, would be gambling? It already exists off Hawaii the coast, <laughs> right? It's the, it's the ideal location. Exactly. I mean, I, I know I know that 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 some some organizations like having it on on these container ships, right? And people then go out yeah. and see and then have some fun there. You could you could make it in Hawaii Island, uh, like um, Hawaii. There is a major development going on. They're building a beautiful hotel concept, which is like a Maldives replica. Absolutely. Why don't you see my there as well? Absolutely. I mean, m m uh, you have you have um, next to France that small country, uh, uh, Constantinople, not Constantinople. Um, it, where it's just like the ga gambling yeah, hump. Yeah, uh, Macau is it called? No, Macau is in China. In China, no, no. Um, um, Christ, my geography skills yeah. are terrible. <laughs> it's it's right next to it's right next to Cannes. It's like a three-hour drive Monte down Carlo. Monte, Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo, yeah, yeah. The they have the biggest casino there. Exactly. Yeah. There's no reason why why that can't make, duplicate make it. Make Howard the Vegas of Bahrain. Yeah, make it the Vegas of, of the GCC. Exactly. Right. You can have exactly. a massive tourism, and it's disconnected. Right? Don't just make it a resort. Mm. There's rumors that there's rumors that Saudi is thinking about doing that. There is, there is. They are, I think, already doing it. They're building some uh, island, island near. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I could, I could. Uh, MBS is a smart man, and I'm sure he's uh, looking he's exactly at these done things. It, I think, from what I understand, it's already happening. Yeah. The island is being reclaimed. Exactly. <laughs> I, it makes sense. Why not? I mean, it, why not? Right? Why not? Because. It, you having you having you have issues with outside influences. China's right now in Pakistan, in Iran, obviously, and most of in in in, in Africa. U.S. influences with 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 uh, Saudi Arabia, with the Gulf countries, and and I think the reason I'm bringing this topic up is I think that that like in India, this Westernization that has occurred in our culture, in the next ten to twenty years, I think we're going to see a huge clash, and I think we're going to see like almost like in the 70s, maybe not to that same extreme, but we're gonna see a, a counter movement, <laughs> right? Everything is expected because uh, things are opening up and you can see people have their own mindset, their own vision, and they, they want that change to happen. I think like with a thob, right? It's almost totally disappeared in the younger generation and I think there is going to be a return to it. Yeah. Uh, India never really had its own culture until mm -hmm. 1947. When was Indi India's independence? Yeah. Well, 1948, 1947. So they were always just just kingdoms, smaller ones together, and then the British took them over. Um, and and now with Modi, you can you can see them saying we you know we want our own language, we want our own education system, we want our own this. There's a real counter movement, and yeah. that's why we we so many Muslims have troubles right now yeah. in India because of exactly those policies. Yeah. And I, I I think that we're we're going to see it, which I don't think is negative. I I think that. Change is good. Change is good, and you have to have that vision for change, and you you have to pre-prepare yourself for this change. Uh, you can't expect to ad hocly just. I agree. Umor, yani exactly. Which is happening. Exactly. Yani. No, that doesn't work. I mean, okay, it might survive for a few, for a short while, but you'll be out of the game completely. I totally agree. And and if you position yourself efficiently, you will create that vision within the people, but. 
you you need to make it and 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 strategize it in such a way that you sell it to everybody. I agree, but I think it it needs to take a step almost further, if you don't mind me saying. I think the one of the biggest issues with with angel investors and VCs in general is the attractiveness yeah. of the Western market, right? You know, unicorn businesses yeah. and that kind of stuff. And there's no reason because I've did my research here in here in the Middle East and the Gulf countries. There is only really one streaming company, which is OSN. Mm -hmm. Everything else is Disney owned by yeah. US. You've got Apple TV owned by US, Netflix owned by the US. There, there is a gap in this market. There is a gap. And I, I think that you know local content, local TV, Tash Matash has existed exactly. for 40 years, 50 years. People still watch it. Still watch <laughs> it. And it can come back. I mean, there's a reason why we're doing this podcast bad yeah. in English, right? Yeah. We could have done it in Arabic, <laughs> but the market isn't there for it yet. Anything you'd like, by the way, to add for your business? How would they find you? Follow you on Twitter, on Instagram? Um, uh, my Instagram is Sonia Janahi. Uh, okay. And the, the company is to brand my Lecture Glittery and my Delice. Sure. We're located in Rufa. Sure. Um, uh, both the factory, the retail, and the mini cafe, we've shrunk it down, but we still have the main menu items. Sure. And um, I look forward to a better future. Absolutely. Very positive, honestly. Uh, absolutely. And, and uh, anything else about your business for potential investors if they're interested? Oh, definitely. We are. Give um, me the sales list. Come on. Give me, what do you, give me yeah, the sales pitch. Maya has a major opportunity. It's a proven track record. Sure. It's sustained major blows, sure. of, uh, blows of losing franchisees, losing 80% of its cash flow. Uh, even management, we had some management that basically messed up the company, but it's still standing. Sure. It still has its reputation. Uh, people who know the brand still come to the brand no matter where they are in the world. Uh, I, I went and gave the concierge in the apartment in London a box of chocolate, and he goes, oh, Maya, and I didn't even think this person would know Maya, but apparently he follows Maya, and he didn't know that I'm the owner of Maya, and, and, and you know, and, and that you were was, shocked. Uh, oh, I was shocked, you know, but Inside the Travel did a piece on us, and that, that piece reached millions of people globally, mm. and, and today people that are even in the U.S. or in Europe or in everywhere, you know, do appreciate and know the brand and they come looking for the brand when they come to this part of the world. So there is a potential. What is missing today is the cash flow to take this company to the next level. We are an organization, we're dynamic, we're not a greedy, we don't want to keep 100% of the company, we want to see the company success story. So if it takes to bringing people to own a big chunk of this company and take it to this ne next level, let them call me. Give, uh, give me the, 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 the cherry on the cake. What kind of returns are you expecting? What kind of returns are you hoping for? We are, we, no, not hoping for. We're expecting because we've done our homework based on track record, extensive track record. You're looking at an IRR of not less than 20%. Okay, that's so impressive. Yeah. And wh what kind of growth expectation? That's a very, very, very conservative growth that okay. we're looking at uh, in terms of an IRR of 20%. Uh, we're looking at investors coming in to actually have positive performance uh, from year three of injecting money into the company. Mm -hmm. That's your break even. And the IRR actually grows to almost 45% in year five. Mashallah. That's when you take it to IPO. Mashallah. Yeah. And what kind of price range are you hoping for buyers? Uh, hoping for buyers. I know okay. that you, you're, still, you're still looking. <laughs> that, that, um, if you want to say it. No, I don't, I, I don't want to say something and, and then I get shot. I'd rather finish the valu valuation efficiently and have what it. What valuation would you like to hear? 
see, I'll be very honest with you. Today, the valuation has dropped much lower than what it was in uh, 2008. In 2008, sure. three years after we launched this company, the valuation hit $30 million. Okay. Today, the valuation is $10 million, okay. roughly, plus minus. That's basically, but we're even fine-tuning to see if it's 10 or if it's lower, but definitely, I'm sure it's not higher based on the inflation and recession. But the company will reach a valuation of $30 million, if not more, based on the expansion strategies that we have for the injection of the liquidity into the company. And I think that for a lot of investors who are potentially looking at it, it's not just the buy-in of potential returns. It's also about the connections, the soft power that it brings to be a part of this great board that, you'd, that it would be with J-O- SJ Investment. SJ Investment. Sorry, we'll cut that part. <laughs> part of SJ Investment. And yeah, I, thi I think uh, any buyer would be very fortunate. And I think, uh, yeah. Well, it's wonderful. an opportunity for us and for them. Um, I think so we as well. That we can both capitalize on, uh, learn from, and, uh, and make it a positive success story. I mean, don't forget GCC right now, the GDP is growing yes. in, in every single country. Yes. And uh, local businesses do have a potential, mm -hmm. especially when they're owned uh, in Belgium, right? It's a, <laughs> as, <laughs> as a great brand record <laughs> in history. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much.